Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Friday, December 30th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. Got an important show planned for you. Apologies for the delay on getting started. I'm about 15 minutes late now. Long story, personal stuff. It just really distracted me and it took me a minute to kind of regain regain my, my focus here. But I've got some important stuff to talk about that I really want to make sure we piece together in an appropriate way that really, it's one of these shows that I feel like connect from the beginning to the end in every possible way. Even the stuff about Twitter, even the conversation about Ukraine, Israel, like there's so many interesting overlaps here. Israel in particular, when we get to the end in regard to the defense, Department of Defense overlap, the, it's, what's really interesting is we've all known for a while, Operation Warp Speed itself was a Department of Defense project. The entire vaccine program, and then they acted like it kind of shifted, right? But that's not really the case. And there's more information now coming out showing even you know, more clear than ever. <laughs> Look, but not that's funny. Thank you, Peter. Somebody in the chat made a funny comment. But it, what, what's interesting is that we've known this. We've known that there's a Department of Defense overlap, if not complete, push in this. But what we're seeing now is more information showing that it's all it still maintains this, but there's bigger overlaps than we then we've really connected so far. And this goes into things that address the FDA and whether or not they've ever really had an ability to hold them to account. And this overlap with the technology side of it that I point all the way back to Charles Lieber, the virus size transistors, the nanotechnology, and how that itself in a very weird way overlaps with the injections, as well as this brain machine interface technology direction. And I just think it's really alarming to see how all this stuff kind of pieces together. On a quick side note, let me know if the camera looks different to you guys. The last couple of shows, I feel like I'm noticing some difference in the camera. It could just be an issue here, but as long as you can see me, we're all good. But let's get started today. First, want to shout out, um, oh, and just, you know, like, not that we need to go over everything, but we'll be talking about some foreign policy, specifically Ukraine, Israel, some Twitter stuff to begin with, the new Israeli government we're going to talk about specifically, more da- uh, the dam of information breaking in regard to more doctors continuing to speak out from around the world. But I want to start off with the, the uh, thing I mentioned yesterday. Now that you so see you guys know, again, autonomy, Grand Theft World, Richard Grove is going to be supporting The Last American Vagabond and, it, you know, which we happily accept. And anybody out there that wants to support The Last American Vagabond and the work we're doing, let us know. And just so you know, as always, that in no way means people are influencing our content or anything. It's simply people just like you that want to support us because they believe in the work. And in this case, I'm going to be man, don't forget, uh, we just com- uh, finished and I should have found that before I went live, but I did this late. Uh, my project for autonomy, which is in regard to objective research. Here is the link for the affiliate link. I'll include it in the show notes starting tomorrow. I forgot to add that. Uh, but this is the link you guys can have. This will be in the show notes of the links itself, but not the one under the video. And this is where you can find all of the other work on autonomy, all the other programs and things. I just, I love the idea of being able to, you know, essentially take these courses as you see fit and, you know, come to your own conclusions about it. Uh, but just proud to say that autonomy is supporting TLAV, and I'll make sure to include that in future shows so you guys can check it out. And I do believe that I'm going to be doing more than just the one episode I did for them or, you know, course, essentially. So check out for that, because I really do think this stuff is is valuable for everybody in general. Just, you know, kind of relearning or as Scott's show is called debunking or rebunking. It's the same idea. It's like the reverse of the manipulation. And there's important things to, to look into here. On that note, let's get started with. Some Twitter information. Now, I found this really interesting. Now, I'm trying to do these first parts really quickly. I'm try. <laughs> Yell at me in the chat if I'm getting derailed in some kind of analogy, which is always why these takes longer than they should. 
this is just a random tweet that led to a series of points. And somebody said, she's woke and posted this woke with a, a swastika in the middle of the, the oh, which, which whatever. I don't, you post what you want. It's called free speech as much as people don't like what these things are. My point is this has been up since the 27th. I'm never calling for censorship and I don't want that to happen, but I find it really inconsistent. And I think there's a point to be made here about whatever the yay thing was and how this really kicked off and what that was really meant to accomplish. I just find this very interesting. This is, you'll find a lot of examples like this right now. All sorts of things. Not not the most obvious of which is aggressively promoting violence on a lot of these pro-Ukrainian and directly Ukrainian military accounts where they're literally going kill Russians. Russians make the best, best fertilizer. That's, why, that's open violence promotion. They're still there. Never came down. What's interesting, though, is remember, Kanye West's Twitter account was suspended after the swastika tweet. Elon Musk says... And it says, hours after Kanye tweeted an anti-Semitic image, which is not what it was, that included a swastika inside a Star of David, which I guess technically that's what the image is, but that's not what it's supposed to represent. I'll make this quickly clear in a moment. I tried my best. Despite that, he again violated our rules against incitement to violence. A cat will be suspended. Okay. Now, you know, you, you can disagree with that, but had it been consistent going forward, you really couldn't begrudge him for holding a line, right? Especially when you know people are going to push back on this. Just for remembering, I... I, I couldn't find in the time I was trying to put this together, uh, the, the latter part of this happened later towards the beginning of the show, the actual tweet. And I wanted to try to find like an archive version to show it to you. But this is what was posted. And I went over this in my previous shows. I should have actually grabbed the Twitter show so you could look at that. But he posted this symbol, right? And this symbol with the hashtag love everybody. We know this story. This all happened. We all remember the story, right? And this is where he said, first he said, that's okay in regard to some other tweet he put out. But then he said, this is not. And he censored it right there. Boom. Now, the interesting part, and I did a whole show on this, is that this is still on Twitter right now. <laughs> so if the symbol is enough to get you censored, then why is that still there? The only other issue would be that apparently love everybody makes it even worse. And that's more than, okay, that's obviously not the case. So the symbol got him censored. And the symbol has always been before this and still is on Twitter right now. That doesn't make any sense. What's funny about this, though, is remember, this is the where this symbol came from. And people argue maybe why Ye did this to prove a point was from what's called the Raelian movement. It's, an, it's, a, it's a UFO-focused religion. It's really crazy. I shouldn't say crazy. It's weird. It's different. But these people, this guy, the owner, you can see it on the ship right there. He had a vision, and he saw this in the vision, the symbol, the way it was just like that. He originally tried to start part of this in Israel. It's, out, it's obvious if you look into this, there's nothing about this that's racist or intentionally so. And it was never meant to be anything about the swastika. It was simply sort of a continuate. I don't know. You can read into it for yourself. So regardless, the point is that was not a racist symbol, despite how people want it to be. And love everybody got him censored. And now we can see things like this right now. Where, I don't, there's no way that makes any sense. Inconsistent. So what was really going on there? Now, on that note, I just want to make sure I point this out to people. I'll be on January 7th hosting something I set up on Twitter Spaces. I'm really reluctant about this, to be quite honest, because I don't, I don't, I don't one, don't want to support any of these platforms, to be quite honest. I don't want to do this to support the idea of this new medium as some kind of form of journal. I don't, I don't agree with this, but I wanted to do it once, maybe more. We'll see how this goes to see how this works. I already got a lot of people that are wanting to come. Unfortunately, I spoke to Dr. Peter McColl and he said he's going to be traveling at the point he can't make it. But there's other people that are going to be chiming in. Larger accounts and smaller accounts and all across the board. 
And we're going to have a conversation about Twitter files in general, not really nitpicking or not wrong term, not really diving through each end individual claim, but just the overarching points and discussing it, COVID narratives in general, and what's been going through the Twitter files. And then overall, my main point, the importance of source material, like an objective discussion about what this really is and might be at the end of this when maybe they release all of the information as they claim they will. But until that point, what is it right now? Like in a really objective journalistic perspective, not because we want it to be true, even if we probably is true. But until we see the bat, the basis of the source material, what is that then? A lot of people want it to just be like, let's go to enough. Well, I don't agree with that. And if we do, then that means source material apparently doesn't matter anymore. And tweets and screenshots are not source material as much as I do agree that pretty much everything they're showing is true. See, that's something that confuses people. It's then it, if you know that, then just go. Well, I, I, if I, me knowing that or my opinion rather does not prove anything. It's about the source material always. The same thing with a lot of this stuff. Like it's very weird where these partisan games are being played. The Twitter files are being compared to WikiLeaks, which is just insulting. It's literally the opposite. You're getting a piece of something as opposed to the full body of work. And then weirdly enough, the whole Andrew Tate thing, which I'm not even going to get into, it's just a waste of time. He's also being compared to WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. It's like, my God, we are being gamed in every possible way right now. So we'll try this out. Tune in, please. Everybody come. Anybody, anywhere that wants to join in. And, I, and we have the time, time, you know, considering or time allowing, hopefully everybody who wants to can speak. That's also one of the main points that never happens on these other ones. But I do understand when there's a lot of people that can be difficult. But we'll see how it goes. And if it's weird and doesn't work and I feel like it's counterproductive, then we'll, we won't do it again. Now, lastly, last two points on these Twitter files. Chief Nerd put out, can you feel the momentum shifting? Thank you, Elon Musk. I've seen some really disconcerting stuff. Of, you know, even for instance, and I'm, I am not trying to make this about calling anybody out. I really respect Viva Frey. I really do. I think he does excellent work. I think he's been really consistent in the way he's broke stuff down, COVID and everything else. But for some strange reason, he went aggressively after Caitlin Johnstone for simply pointing out what I think we all should be wondering or questioning, that Elon Musk is a defense contractor and he's not the same as Julian Assange and Snowden. I mean, maybe, maybe, and it's a slim maybe for me in the future when all this stuff fleshes out, maybe you could make that claim. Right now, at best, it's up in the air. But it's weird how aggressive people are in supporting this idea that he's some kind of savior of free speech. I got my account back and I think it's great. And I've seen people today like Jessica Rose and other people coming back. And that's great. That, those, are, those are moves in the right direction. Overall, we're not even close to being something, what this, I mean, even what this is showing. Uncensored Twitter, corporate media, damn, and then government narrative. It's like, guys, almost everything that's coming through Twitter files has already been proven, discussed, and outlined relentlessly by people in the independent media. There's been some interesting points that have come out. But overall, if we're really going to pretend like this is what's that's they're standing on the back of the work that everybody else has been doing. These are just extra points on top of it, which, which add to the work. Come on, we got to start questioning this stuff. And again, my point is not that I'm saying Elon is not on your side. I'm saying I don't know, but I'm very skeptical about that. If I had to pick, you want my opinion? I don't think he is. But my point is, when we're coming from a journalistic perspective, I do not know. You know, the same way that I don't know whether Tulsi Gabbard is a young global leader. I'm worried about that. She says, no, there's information that seems to suggest that, but ultimately I'm in the middle. I've decided that I don't know yet, but I'm skeptical as hell about her. People that want to pretend that she is don't like that. People that want to pretend she's not don't like that. That's what it looks like to be objective. And here we are wasting time. So this is a clip I'm going to play last for the Twitter opening. And this is just something I'm going to, I'm going to play at the end as well to kind of wrap this together. Somebody made a great clip, two minutes, as he says, he was invited to the World Economic Forum, but declined. And I offered that the other day 
sort of like sort of the same thing we're hearing from a lot of people. I wonder if that's just kind of the go to response. And maybe that's not the case. Just asking a question. I don't know. But listen to this clip and you'll see as many people have shown in, in meme form that almost every single thing that he's driving toward is the same things that this is driving toward. Now, it could be that he doesn't realize that. It could be that he doesn't care. It could be that he thinks he's playing them. And you know what? Maybe he is right now. But the point is, this should scare all of us, especially as people are treating him like a savior. Nobody will be safe if not everybody is vaccinated. Are you vaccinated? If I yes. may ask. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm very, very pro-vaccination. Yeah. Right? We've, uh, it's, the science is unequivocal. Can you imagine that in 10 years when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our uh, brains and... Um, I can immediately feel because you all will have implants. Just think of sensors planted into our brains. Basically implanted in your skull. So, uh, <laughs> but it would be flush with your skull. So you basically uh, take out a chunk of skull, replace, put the neurolink device in there. Um, you, you put the, the electrode, you'd insert the electrode threads very carefully into the, the brain. It doesn't remember all this stuff for the end, especially when we get to the Elon Musk Lieber kind of conversation, all this trans, all this stuff with the brain machine interface change what you are doing. It changes you if you take a genetic editing. It's a fusion of the physical, the digital and the biological world. That's really the essence of the fourth industrial revolution. A merger with biological intelligence and machine intelligence. An effort for man to merge with machine in yes. a healthy way. Yes. To beat machines, you basically have to merge with machines. Most likely, yes. As work is changing, is a universal basic income um, really a, a, a solution to, the, to this problem? I think ultimately we will have to have some kind of universal basic income. And I think some kind of a universal basic income is going to be necessary. Decarbonization of the economy. Where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. I mean, my top recommendation, honestly, would be just to have a carbon tax. This global reset is necessary. By the way, somebody pointed this out to me the day that sometimes uh, we are doing the show and I offer the podcast version. You don't see the screen. And so sometimes things fall under the radar. For instance, in this case, the video there you just listened to is due to WEF scum. That's the account that posted this. You know, little things like that are important because those on the pod podcast deserve to know who made that montage, right? Credit is important. But thank you for that clip because I think that's important. Regardless of what you think about it, you know that's relevant. As much as people don't want to point it out. All those things may still mean he's not on their side. Maybe he just has the same opinions. I'm not saying that proves absolutely that he's working, but it does show you an alarming alliance or rather alignment with what they're both trying to accomplish, or at least in, uh, agree with. And, and that should be concerning from this perspective. Now, to shift over to, and remember this stuff for the end. Now, we'll shift over to Israel and some foreign policy points before we go back to COVID-19 and wrap up with the alarming stuff. Robert had a great article he just put out. The new extremist Israeli government is openly fascist. Now, this used to be something that would get you blocked and censored off damn near every platform everywhere. But now it's because people are aware this is what they actually are, that it's suddenly becoming OK. The Overton window has been broken when it comes to the Israeli conversation. You know why? Because it's always been this way. It has always been this extreme and this problematic. I mean, they've got they've got 
there's always been these elements, let's put it that way. The people in the controlling faction of the government haven't always at least outwardly expressed this kind of level of religious extremism and fascism, which is funny, by the way, as they point to Iran and go, oh, religious extremism, look at their heat jobs, look at what we're at. Look, it's okay as long as the religious extremism can weirdly align with Christianity, even though it kind of doesn't. The, the, realis- the ridiculous part about this is people in the West pretend like supporting Israel is some kind of a Christian thing to do. And that way, no matter how extreme the Zionists get, they just go, well, whatever it is, Christianity's okay. But those guys over there that we don't understand, they're crazy and extreme. It's just hypocritical and contradictory. These people, especially the new government that just got put in place with Netanyahu at the helm, these people are concerning as hell. These are the religious Zionist group. These people, as and please, and that's what they're, this is their name. These people... You can look through, read this article, read plenty of the past work, or just open conversation, even in the corporate media, have been called racist, extremist, terrorist level. That's not my word. From the media covering them now, from the actual politicians, from groups like the ADL in the past. And yet now they just got voted in massively, overwhelmingly, which shows you the kind of mindset that has been warped into place even by the people in Israel, the average people. Now, this is going to bother people because it should. Part of the official policy set forth by the incoming Israeli administration will be to increase settlement activity in the West Bank, Golan Heights, Galilee, and and uh, uh, Nakab areas, all of which are highly populated by Palestinians, right? So that means removing them illegally and displacing them and pushing in to have illegal settlers, which is still illegal. Benjamin Netanyahu is also pledging to set forth a a studying of how to simply annex the West Bank which, by the way, is completely against international law and literally nobody thinks otherwise, but also agitates staunchly pro-Israel governments in the West. So even the people that support them aggressively in the West are going, whoa, you can't do that because we've all acknowledged that's against the law. And we all pretend that you don't want to do that. We all pretend that you want a two-state solution, even though you openly say you don't. Benjamin Netanyahu's swearing-in speech included language suggesting that the controversial racist nation-state law, which is exactly what it is, will be pursued as a priority. Not just that, but it's getting exponentially more incre- uh, more intense, severe. She, it says, the Jewish people have an exclusive and indisputable right to all areas of the land. Only Jewish people. I mean, just apply that to literally any other lens anywhere else. If that was Iran saying that, and only Iranians or, or only, only Shiites, let's say, that, that would be called racist. It would be called bigotry, but not when Israel's government does it making it clear that Tel Aviv's Western allies would have no ability to influence them on entering talks for the so-called two-state solution. So not even, not only that, they're coming over the top and saying, look, we won't even consider, we won't even talk about this. You'll Rather, you'll have no ability to influence us on that topic. Do you realize the U.S. government still maintains the Israeli government wants that right now? How embarrassing. They openly say they don't want what the U.S. tells you they want because they want you to think that they're rational, that they're not extremist. The, the disgusting part about this, guys. Oh, and before I get to that, the, the disgusting part about this nation state law. This is this was posted back in 2018 when it first got started. Before that, though, here's a U.S. US government official. Now, let you tell me what you think she's talking about. The United Nations will not tolerate attempts at illegal annexation. We will never recognize it. The United Nations will not tolerate seizing a neighbor's land by force. We will stand up to it. The United Nations will not tolerate attacks on the U.N. Charter. We will defend it. (laughs) 
yeah. And meanwhile, you can see here, but what about Israel? La, la, la. That's not true. Not happening. We don't look over there. We're only talking about bad guy annexation. Oh, okay. Got it. So Israel can annex whatever it wants. Israel can literally occupy the Golan Heights. And then you can go, yeah, you can have that. We'll even call it the Trump Heights. So that is literally tolerating annexation everywhere you look, anywhere outside, even outside of the Israel conversation. There's annexations and occupations everywhere. U.S. government being a primary example. They don't care about that. The United Nations will not tolerate seizing neighbors land by force. Okay, so what about all the examples of the governments literally doing that? Again, the Israeli government being a blatant and obvious example. I mean, historically, but just take what they just said. The West Bank right now happening still in every in many locations over the years. These things continue to happen. It's happening in Gaza every day. But now they're talking about annexing it entirely. So not only are they violating the first two things right now in real time, but guess what? United Nations will not tolerate attacks on the charter. You mean like the Israel openly disregards regularly or the U.S. government openly disregards regularly? You understand that right now it's illegal for them to occupy Syria. Right now it's illegal for them to occupy Iraq. These things haven't changed. These are illegally occupied territories. And yet it's okay because good guy. My point is she's talking about Russia, and I think you picked up on that. This has nothing to do with Israel while it's happening. But otherwise, you have Russia simply acknowledging referendums openly and legally held by the peoples and then internationally observed by hundreds of people around the world. Hundreds of literal international observers, not just regular people, who all maintain it was completely up and on the up and up. By the way, same story with Crimea, same story with Venezuela before this. It's the game they play. Or how about Bolivia, where they go, oh, it's not a real election. And that was proven to be a real election after they took power with a military junta. But that still isn't what's in power. But, you know, because freedom and democracy. These people are a bunch of hacks and liars and hypocrites. It really does make me sick that these people can stand there and act like good people while literally ignoring exactly what she just stood up and proudly said we won't tolerate. Unless it's Israel. Got it. Now, back to this point. Israel's hugely controversial nation state law explained. Now, you should read this. Even though it's Vox, it does a pretty good job of breaking it down in, in a very, you know, in a, in a good way, but not as intense as it should be. The one point I want to make clear, this declaration doesn't just say that Israel is the historic homeland of the Jews, which is a core part of the Zionist ideology, right? Not the Jewish ideology, not Orthodox Judaism, no, the Zionist political party ideology and the argument for the Jewish state's existence in what's now Israel. Now, there's a whole lot of Orthodox Jews that aggressively disagree that Zionists have any right over any of this, that they're, in fact, using Judaism to achieve their political ends. I'll show you this next. Instead, this goes further to unequivocally state that Jews and only Jews have the exclusive right to self-determination within Israel. Right. So what do you mean? What, what about all the other people that live there that aren't, that aren't Jews, but are Israeli citizens? Ah, so you just pretty much said they're no longer they're secondary citizens. That's exactly what happened in 2018. It, it got reconfirmed and even more so today. In other words, it says only Jews have the right to determine what kind of state and society they live under, which means that by default, non-Jews, Palestinians, citizens of Israel, some of whom are Muslim and some of whom are Christian, don't have that same right. Just try to apply this to anything else anywhere. It just it's amazing that we are this hypocritical in real time right in front of us because Israel, because you're a racist. If you challenge it, we're so far past that point. And this is why it's important to point out in this article itself, you'll find three different links to apartheid discussions, all of which are leading human rights organizations right now. The three leading in the world, arguably Amnesty International, Betselem and Human Rights Watch, all of them openly say Israel's apartheid. Israel is apartheid. 
one of which literally openly calls them a Jewish supremacy state. These are human rights organizations. But, you know, fake news because we're racist, right? I mean, my God, no one's talking about race here. We're talking about the Jewish. There we go. There you go. Perfect. The Israeli government. <laughs> now, that right there is going to be used in, in dishonestly to make a point. The reality is very clear. The Zionist government is what we're talking about and the political organization and how it is used. And if you want to see that point even more clear that I've made many times, it's a great clip. I can show these are there are clips you can show from within Israel. And by the way, there's Orthodox Jewish groups in Israel that get openly attacked by the IDF, which shouldn't really make sense to the way that they frame everything. But this is this says true Orthodox Jews are not Zionists. They will not find an Israeli flag in any synagogue or yeshiva. We do not teach our children Zionism. Being against Israel or against Zionism does not make you anti-Semitic. And it just simply shows you this. It says state of Israel does not represent world Jewry. And it shows them with the the Israel flag on their backs with a cross through it or, a, you know, like a, a no sign through it. The point is simple, guys. How can these people be anti-Semites or bigots or racist when they're Jews themselves and they're the ones speaking out? OK, so all it shows you is that there is a pocket where you can genuinely criticize Zionism that has nothing to do with Jewish people. They just don't want you to see that. They want to pretend like they inconflate and the ADL attacks it. But meanwhile, they don't care about the openly racist party that just got elected that they once called terrorists. It's just disgusting hypocrisy. Now, to go over to Ukraine, which is in a very similar situation right now, where everyone's ignoring how aggressively violent they are, Eva Bartlett continues to do excellent work. This is a graphic clip, by the way, just heads up. Today, she walked past a central Donetsk area Ukraine shelled in September. She'd walked, the, she'd walked there since, including in November, the burnt out vehicles and destroyed shops I saw there were the result of Ukrainian terrorism in the recent weeks. Guys, this just doesn't stop. And this is what's happening to people in civilian areas and the governments and the media doesn't care. Don't care. This is actually the very same street and site um, where Ukrainian shelling in September in a space of five days, uh, killed 26 people. And this was one of the sites that was shelled now. In September, the shelling was more in the middle of the street and there was a, a small bus that uh, burned up and there were two dead bodies inside. Uh, you can see there's a church in the background. I was just walking from that direction. And then you have all these shops. There's, this is actually the start of a marketplace. Um, this looks like it was a flower shop. Just shops, no military target. So I don't know when this happened. Um, I'll try to find out when this was. And just so it's clear, guys, these are civilian areas. There's, this is not some kind of accidental Russian hit or it's not some front line. And, and by the way, this is not you could you could a fair question would be, as always, would it be something Russia would do to blame on Ukraine or vice versa? That's always a fair question with the way we know war works today. But the point is that these journalists have been there watching what happens and there are ways to verify this stuff. And they have. The point is the corporate media and the main and the government just don't they don't care. They just don't want to see this, just like with the covid dangers and the risks of the injections. They just don't want to see it. Or more clearly, they don't want you to see it. The September shelling that killed six people here. There's the bus in the center of the road. There's a man dead on the seat of the bus. Ukraine has bombed uh, just within 15, 20 minutes. 
That is the terror that they're living with on a daily basis, folks. This is Ukrainian terrorism. There are no military targets here. And then there was uh, bodies a little bit further up past those cars um, and bodies in the road. You'd think with that kind of evidence there'd be some kind of conversation here. Right. I mean, there's dead bodies and this is nowhere near some. And yet like, these resilient people reopen, even though at any time Ukraine can shell here again. Right. The point here, guys. They are continuing to attack civilians. Now, the point is that you can see those bodies on the ground. If this was in any way usable by the corporate media, or if, if even if it was undefined, they would act like it was reportable. These people died here. Why wouldn't they show that? Wouldn't they go, hey, look, these people died. Russia did it. No, they just blatantly ignore it. I mean, you know, that's not something corporate media does with dead bodies, do they? But yet there's nothing about this. By the way, this happens every day. There's so much constantly being shown in this regard, and it's disgusting. Now, by the way, the U.N. chief is warning of more far right white supremacy threats in the West while this is happening. Right. While we're literally watching supremacy in Israel, supremacy in Ukraine being led by people that are pretending they're fighting it. And all they're doing is going, guess what? The thing we told you it's coming. The vanilla ISIS, the MAGA trap. Guess what, guys? They're continuing to pretend that that's influencing somehow into you. It says comes from the extreme. It says they said greatest terrorism threat in the West comes from extreme right neo-Nazi and white supremacy, literally while they're openly funding that exact thing in Ukraine. Do you not see the strings? I mean, how are we not supposed to pretend that that's what they're talking about in regard to them trying to blame it on Russia, which I've made clear a hundred times over? And I'll make that point a little bit here next. This is being set up, guys. There's, this is so up. You can't miss how they're pretending to be fighting white supremacy and Nazism, whatever else. Well, they damn well know what they're funding over there at the higher echelons for sure. So how do you miss that? Why would they then be saying a threat's coming while they're funding it over there? Because we're watching the strings and the psyop play out right in front of us. That doesn't mean that there's not some forms of this pretty much anywhere you want to look. There's every form of pretty much everything in pockets of the world around every country. But the point is this. They're building this to frame people with. That's my opinion. Either way, why, if they're going to warn of a far right or a white supremacy threat, why wouldn't they point to who they're funding? Because I think this is what's happening here. This is a means to an end, both to sabotage Russia and blame Russia for the actions there, but also to pretend that it's been influenced into the country over here. You know, the Putin apologist or whatever else they want to call it. This is a great report from uh, antiwar.com, but actually it was a report that came from Jack Murphy. Now, this, this comes from his sources as well as some research. The links are the, the source materials in his report. But either way, what it ultimately comes down to is the people that he's referencing, an a military official and a U.S. intelligence person. Either way, that's, that always comes down to them, right? So take it with a grain of salt. It says the CIA has been using a European NATO country's intelligence services to conduct sabotage attacks inside Russia since February the invasion of Ukraine. Investigative journalist Jack Murphy reported on Saturday, citing unnamed former U.S. intelligence military officials. So treat that the same way you would any other unnamed source, right? Engage with it, but consider that it could be completely fabricated, just like corporate media. It's the only way you can engage with unnamed sources. But at some point, 
the way that these things go forward, like, I mean, the, the anonymous source concept kind of, I, I don't even, I, I don't even know if I would want to publish something today that had an anonymous source, no matter how important, because it just does not have weight. I just, I, it's, it's hard for me, but either way, that's not the point to get into today. Just consider this, not because of what Jack Murphy says alone, but that on top of what we've continued to see the evidence and as well as the evidence he provides in his report, but the idea of what we've seen from Ukraine M- numerous times taking credit for bombing and assassinating inside of Russia. We can't miss that, right? So that is what gives credence to these kind of claims. Then you've got what he's reporting. The report said that no U.S. personnel are on the ground in Russia, but that the operations are being directed by the CIA. Wouldn't surprise anybody, would it? Seeing as how that's actually, and we'll get into more of that in the end too. The U.S. is using an allies intelligence services to add an extra layer of plausibility, a plausible deniability. And a U.S., a former U.S. special operations officer, official, told Murphy that Layer was a major factor in President Biden signing off on the attacks. Well, here's something interesting before we keep going on the report. Let me make sure I didn't miss the part. Well, let me go a little further. The report appeared on Murphy's personal website. In a note at the end of the piece, he explained why it hasn't published by, by a media outlet, like a corporate outlet. Quote, while, we're, we're, while working with editors at mainstream publications, I was asked to do things that were illegal and unethical in one instance. And in another instance, I felt that a senior CIA official was able to edit my article by making off the record statements before he leaked the story to New York Times to undermine this piece. So he, he I, you could, that's you have to take his word for that, obviously. But the point is, we know how the corporate media operates, and especially how these internal CIA, FBI agents, and this either social media or corporate outlets, you do exactly this. So all he's outlining for you is his attempt to go to the corporate media, and then seeing very quickly that it was not going to go the way he wanted to. According to a report, the covert campaign inside Russia has been years in its making. Two former military officials said that the NATO country's spy services had hidden a cache of explosives and equipment in Russia more than a decade ago, and some of the gear had been used recently, which seems to align with what we're seeing. A former U.S. special operations official and U.S. person briefed on the campaign said that the CIA didn't get involved with the NATO country's operations inside Russia until 2014, you know, post-Maidan Square regime, regime change. The first team, first time sleeper cells entered Russia that were directed by both the CIA and the NATO Allies Spy Service was in 2016 and more entered the country in the following years. Okay, so this is where we're going to pause for a minute. And remember this. Just a quick note that popped into my mind. Remember this guy? You should. Ronaldo Nazaro, right? The guy who's literally operating a white supremacy terrorist group in Russia called the base. And you know what the translation for Al-Qaeda is to English? The base. Easy to look up. Very strange. So this guy who, by the way, used to work for the U.S. government, and I'll show you this right now, randomly decides in 2018 to move to Russia and start a white supremacy group after working for the U.S. government. Certainly adds up, doesn't it? And the ideas he uses, the name The Base, even though The Base translates to Al-Qaeda. That's pretty strange, isn't it? It's almost like they want you to see it. Well, here's the point. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security also confirmed that Nazaro worked with the DHS between 2004 and 2006. In 2014, Nazaro reportedly worked with U.S. forces in the Middle East on counterterrorism measures. Gee, I wonder if he was involved. Nazaro had top-secret clearance. He and his wife moved to St. Petersburg, Russia with their children in 2018. DHS confirmed in February 2021 his employment. Great. So this guy with top-secret clearance randomly decides to become a terrorist and moves to Russia and calls himself Al-Qaeda, or excuse me, the base. 
Okay. So the point is, it's obvious that this could be what that is. And I think that is an example of being of the effort to set up what they wanted to make. And by the way, this very group, along with a couple of others, were very clumsily patched in to make it look like they were the basis for the extremist in Ukraine. But it fell flat a long time ago because people like us were doing work on this. But don't miss it. They tried very, very poorly, I argue, to kind of pat piecemeal this together and pretend that because he was there, therefore there's white supremacy in Russia. And therefore these people are influencing what's happening in Ukraine. And therefore they're suddenly influencing plate groups like the Rise Above Movement in the United States, right? Because we all know that's the big racist group, right? Except don't forget, as we've proven, that is the verifiable U.S. arm of the Azov Movement in Ukraine. The Azov movement, which was literally created or rather funded and grown by the CIA called Project Aerodynamic. All of this is easily proven. For those new, I've gone over all of this with documents from the CIA in numerous past shows. The point being, this guy could very well be one of these beginnings. And here they are now finding out that they've been building this for a long time. Since 2014, since 2016, it says, where was it? They, 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 uh, the spy service entered the country with fault in the following years, but it says that, uh, where was it? Uh, the sleeper cells in Russia that were directed by the CIA NATO ally spy service was in 2016. So very, very shortly after this, the NATO ally provided the undercover operatives with stories to explain their presence in Russia, like we just read, and documents to back them up. The report said that around the time Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th, the NATO ally spy service activated its sleeper cell inside Russia using covert communications, and they were ready for orders on what targets to strike. Now, to be clear, I'm not arguing I know for sure that this is that. Just an obvious overlap. And I think there's something to be said for how clearly this is not what it looks like. That's, I mean, my opinion, obviously, but come on. It says it's not clear how many attacks the sleeper cells have been responsible for, but there has been a series of mysterious explosions at Russian military facilities we've all seen, power plants, railways since the invasion. The report suggested the saboteurs could have been behind the April fire at the Research Institute of Russia's Aerospace Defense Forces, which killed over 20 people. Now, the reality is they've admitted, Ukraine's government has admitted to numerous examples. Remember, the U.S. government even had to speak up and say, we're not telling them to do that. <laughs> so it's clear that some of this is happening. The sabotage operations that the CIA is overseeing require a presidential finding. President Obama signed a finding before he left office that allowed covert action against Russia over allegations that Moscow interfered in the 2016 election. You know, the lie they sold. So it all pieces together, a claim that was never proven. I mean, this all patches together, guys, from that to Ukraine, to Ukraine, to labs, to labs, to, I mean, all of this. According to the Washington Post, Obama's finding allows planting cyber weapons in Russia's infrastructure, the digital equivalent of bombs that could be detonated if the United States found itself in an escalating exchange with Moscow. A CIA spokesperson denied the allegations made in the report, but Murphy pointed out the spy agency can legally deny the existence of covert operations, which obviously, I don't know why anybody would take a CIA spokesman at, at, their fa at, at face value, Murphy said that the article went through a vigorous fact-checking process <clears throat> and was deemed newsworthy as the strategic bombings of Laos and Cambodia or the CIA's secret drone campaign in Pakistan. His point is simply that if those were using similar levels of, of data or information and similar processes and they were allowed to be acknowledged as proven ideas, well, then so who would his. I argue that all of these should be questioned. Right? But that's why you use secondary and peripheral information to make more sense of it, come to your own conclusions. To me, this seems to add up perfectly. Now, would Russia likely be doing the same thing in reverse? Absolutely. And if they had evidence of that, I would think that was just as important to report. But what's alarming is that how we can see this being patched together, in, in my opinion. Now, we have examples of Lindsey Graham for the second time now, openly asking for Putin to be taken out. 
I, like I said the last time he did this, was, wasn't that long ago. Can you imagine the response if anybody in Russia, whether a politician or the president themselves, said Biden should be taken out? They would lose their minds, and you know they would. And that's rightfully so, because you're literally saying somebody assassinate the president. It's just, it's, a, it's alarming how hypocritical these people are. Now, on top of that, a few other points from Ukraine that I think are really important to show you where how this is progressing. Ukraine has now called for Russia's removal from the United Nations. I, it's just it's so insultingly hypocritical to pretend like anything Russia's doing, even if everything they're doing is what the U.S. says it is or the United Nations says it is, that you wouldn't then pretend that the United States should have been expelled years ago or any other numerous. I mean, Saudi Arabia. I mean, there's plenty of examples of the things that are done that are far, far, far more egregious than what's happening here. Now, I'm not talking about all the allegations of human rights crimes and all the stuff that have mostly fallen flat and been proven to be fake news. I'm talking about the process that they're pointing at, the idea that they're doing this illegally and it's an illegal invasion and they're trying to steal our land. No, that's not even remotely what appears to be happening and has fleshed out to be everything they've said so far has not been the case, like just through time, like that he's going to take all the country, he's going to take over the world or he's going to run out of weapons or he's going to die from something. Everything they keep saying. Or the raping children story or the ghost of Kiev or all of these narratives that have been proven, proven to be false. And yet they still bank on the allegations to make this argument. But why in the world does Ukraine have any right to argue that Russia should be removed? I mean, just so it's clear, I'm pretty sure Russia still has veto power, but regardless, or maybe that's, I don't know, I'm not following the veto powers. I do want to look into that, actually, because if I believe I remember that Russia did, and I'm sure that could change based on influence from other countries. But either way this works, this is an alarming push. This is a red line. This will cause reaction, which is the whole point. Disclosed TV says Ukraine Zelensky says his government is preparing to participate in Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum in Davos. Great. So in the middle of a war that you're screaming is going to take over the world, you're going to take a break and run to Davos, right? Like, yo, and make sure you hit up the Vogue shooting so you don't miss the cover you know make sure that you join you know it's right they have time to write your book though write your book there Zelensky. like where in all of his promotion time does he find time for the war but don't worry he's got a green shirt on so you know he's real this is disgusting guys the overlap here is literally everywhere everywhere don't forget ukraine said they were the first country in the world to adopt all of their practices yeah because that makes sense during the war right digital ids yeah somehow it all worked out it's just insulting to your intelligence Oh, and by the way, in case you wanted to have one more ridiculous thing to this string of ridiculous things, Zelensky announces alliance with BlackRock. Yes, that's not a joke. An alliance with BlackRock for reconstruction of Ukraine. I mean, they are literally apparently going to rebuild Ukraine during the war when they're still stopping people from rebuilding Syria because they didn't get what they want. They being the authorities, the powers that shouldn't be, in this case, the United States government. But think about how ridiculous that is. BlackRock, of all people, the government or the, the shadow bank, which is what they're actually called, that seemingly runs the U.S. Treasury now. Well, as Robert Malone points out, the Medici Bank went broke from siding with the wrong side of the War of the Roses. BlackRock placing their bets now, betting against Russia. Yeah, well, he's kind of arguing that that's going to be the end of them. I kind of don't think that's the case, but it would be a good thing to see, seeing as how they're not something we should be supporting. And in case you want to learn more about this, I did an article or a show all the way back on June 18th of 2020 called The COVID Coup, the BlackRock Takeover of American Interests. It's important to check this out to understand what's going on. Oh, what a shock. YouTube censored it. It's important to understand where this, you know, the the plan they're using here was decided before COVID started and it was COVID used to justify it. And last point, Zelensky made a secret phone call to Mitch McConnell, urging him to pass a provision that would give Ukraine the seized fortunes of Russian oligarchs. 
according to reports, insider, business insider reports. Think about that. This is the kind of gross overreach that, that but, you know, if these reports are correct, that we're seeing. That, that we're, we're already trying to chop up money you're stealing from Russia in the middle of this. I mean, this, everything about this is just dishonest. And that being said, let's jump into some more dishonest conversation in regard to COVID-19. 44 minutes. That's not too bad. Let's see if I can get this done in an hour and a half. Let's see. Now, we just talked about this. Important to point this out. Again, the train wreck of all train wrecks. Billions of people stuck with broken immune response. And this is the discussion of IgG4 antibodies versus IgG3. And if I remember correctly, the IgG4 is what deals with things like bee pollen and allergy stuff. You know, things that are meant to make sort of your body see them as benign so they don't react to them. So when you get more out, you know, bee pollen that you don't suddenly have some kind of reaction. Now, that's IgG4. IgG3 is what's used to fight these things off in regard to viruses and so on. Now, the problem is that quick breakdown of this, when you look at the information after the third, these are the breakdown of the shots and the different antibodies created. Okay. After the second shot, you almost have no IgG3, which is what's needed to actually stop this. Post the third shot and fourth shot, and you can read this article for yourself, it goes to zero. Zero. Meanwhile, second, third, and fourth shot, your IgG4 goes off the charts. Meaning, it basically creates a situation where you turn this thing into something that's relatively more mild, but never stops. Sounding familiar? And then you have organ failure and, and possibly die. That's what we're seeing, and that's what these experts are pointing out. There's no reason you should make a vaccine that creates the IgG4 antibodies in response to a virus. It's guaranteed to do what we're seeing, and that's what they're proving. There's so many angles this is being proven from. Now, anyway, this is a great article you should read for yourself. I just want to point out that Jessica Rose, welcome back to Twitter, is now pointing out the same thing in a different angle, saying that this discussion of the IgG4 is why people's cancers are exploding. This explains your cancer reemergence and the onset of new and rare cancers. An important article. Read it for yourself. The point is, this stuff is so completely out there right now. I don't know how this is still continuing. I don't know how anybody could actually still pretend that this makes sense. The only way they can is if they plug their ears and stomp their feet and only look at what they're told to look at, because it's everywhere. And on that note, let's look at some more experts that are standing up and speaking out more and more and more every single day. As Dr. Walter points out, double-vaxxed, respected Norwegian clinical uh, psychologist calls for complete suspension of the COVID jabs because of clear evidence of more harm than good. More harm than good. Not for some categories versus others across the board. Bad for everybody. More harm than good. A net harm. Here's what she has to say. And as, oh, as I said, one by one, they find the courage to tell the truth. How much longer can the slim minority of overly vocal vaccine promoters like Hotez, for example, continue pretending that all these highly regarded, highly credentialed experts calling to stop the shots now are all anti-science conspiracy theorists. I mean, how do you still make that argument? How can they be anti-vax crusaders when these people were vaccinated, that they still promote every other vaccine? I mean, it's a clumsy and and half-hearted argument. They just hope you don't look. That's all they've got left. Hello, my name is Silja Shevik, and I am a clinical psychologist from Norway. I have been deeply concerned about the way people have been ostracized for being unvaccinated the past three years. People have experienced discrimination, threats, and even exclusion from their professional lives. I was one of those who genuinely believed our governments when they claimed that these mRNA vaccines was safe and effective. 
I expected these vaccines to be like traditional ones, so I took two jabs. But even though this was true, I've been against vaccine mandates from the beginning. No one should have their freedom taken away based on what medical products they choose to take. And don't forget that despite having two shots in her body before she spoke out, simply being against the mandates, they already call them anti-vax. Now think about the stupidity of that kind of argument. So how can you possibly be taking them but be anti-vax? Like it's just because they don't know how to package this. They need to make it simple for the people that want to deny everything that we're showing. So they just go anti-vax, crazy, conspiracy theory, same kind of game. Don't look at it, plug your ears. Everyone should decide over their own body. However, politicians were under a lot of pressure from the WHO who called for urgent and aggressive action. So not surprisingly, our politicians took it upon themselves to be authoritarian and aggressive, which caused a lot of animosity, even though these vaccines does not reduce transmission. The president of France, Emmanuel Macron, vowed to make life miserable for the vaccine refusers. We were reassured that these vaccines was safe and effective. However, this was only concluded based on the vaccine company's own conclusions. And the studies were not peer-reviewed because they didn't want to show the raw data. Cardiologist Asim Alhotra has critically analyzed the data. Reanalysis of the randomized controlled trials suggests greater risk of serious adverse events from the vaccines than being hospitalized from COVID. These analysis has been peer-reviewed and published in a medical journal not founded by the drug industry. Based on this new information, these vaccines should be suspended. We should learn from this experience and put bitterness and animosity aside and show respect for each other's views. Because in the heat of the debate, People fell victim to fear, and with good reason. Fear is a powerful motivator. And in the interest of self-preservation, people respond by moving away from discomfort and towards their comfort zones. I therefore encourage everyone to show kindness, understanding, and respect each other in the new year of 2023. And besides, we are stronger together, despite our previous disagreements. Happy New Year. The much as the whole stronger together thing doesn't usually ring true for people with how it's been used. The point is a lot of people are speaking up. People that were moments ago on the other side, and it's, it's a waterfall right now. The dam is broken. As Malter says, I've just been contacted by a very eminent doctor from a London teaching hospital. He's double vaxxed, helped the help with the rollout, just like Maholtra, but is now extremely concerned about serious harms of the mRNA jabs, not just from his own observations, but from the hard data, too. He's ready to help. Right. 
And so don't forget, guys, it's not only just now available or, re- or readily seen. Dr. Bhakti saw it in 2020. We saw it after looking at the Pfizer information. At the very least, we're skeptical of it from the very beginning. One, because I'm skeptical of any of these groups anyway. But very early, there was a lot to see that challenged what was being said. And then step by step, the moment this went further, every moment this went further, you could see more and more. And as even Maholtra said, you know, the, Maholtra, Holtra, I keep saying with an L, he thought he trusted the CDC. They listened to the people because that's the way they're trained. And they're just finally starting to see it because in this case, Walter reached out to her and showed the information or however that worked. And she saw it. It's all it takes. That's what we're doing with this show. That's what you're trying to do with your friends and family and anywhere else. Just hold out the hand and say, look, here's the information if you're ready to accept it. Because it's very clear. Now, here's a really interesting overlap. He, uh, Dr. Malter just shared this. This is a clip of him pre-pandemic debating AstraZeneca CEO who proposed that they need more people taking more medications. Shocking. (laughs) Which he said, you can't drug people into being healthy. Which I find really interesting, right? Now, despite that stance, and listen, what he says here is kind of going to blow you away because it's almost everything we're pointing out today. And it's, it's pretty much, this is a scathing overview of the broken nature of the health system. And then yet, despite that, when this first began, he fell in line like the rest of them. As I pointed out, he even and even he towed the COVID jab line first, because as I pointed out, emergencies are emotional manipulation. Now, I said down here, not not every single always emergency, but in the case of COVID illusion, the emergency declaration is what emotionally manipulated even those questioned the direction or maybe just scared people for wait from saying the thing you shouldn't challenge because maybe their, their minds are going, well, I don't have all the data yet, so I'll wait. And that's usually why, you know, um, what is it? What's the old saying? Uh it's not freaks and fanatics. It's something in fanatics are all it basically the point is that fanatics are always so sure of themselves. Why wiser people are always full of doubts. And that's because they're willing to accept that, you know, maybe I could be wrong. While the people screaming over the top of everybody don't really care, you know, and that's how that works out either way. Now, the, by the way, just so, just so people, somebody pointed out, that is actually the way that this, the saying is towed T O E D not T O W it, it's in referring to towing the line, like in a race. That's where that comes from. Just somebody comment below saying, you're wrong. <laughs> it's like, no, that's the correct way to say it. Now, listen to this clip. It is, it is important. We'll now move to the first speaker on the opposition, who is Dr. Asim Malhotra, a cardiologist and noted critic of overdiagnosis. He's also a spokesman for the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges. Asim, the floor is yours. Thank you, Mr. President. Ladies and gentlemen, it was the, one of the founding fathers of the evidence-based medicine movement, Professor David Sackett, who once said, 50% of what you learn in medical school will turn out to be either outdated or dead wrong within five years of your graduation. <laughs> what a way to start. The trouble is, you don't know which half, so you have to learn to learn on your own. I've been a qualified doctor. I mean, just think about that first claim. I mean, this is, these are the kind of nuggets of truth that get passed around internal communities like this in the medical community. But that's not something you pu- you're not supposed to hear that on the corporate news. You're supposed to have blind faith and qu- trust the NHS, right? That's how they push it out to you. But these people internally are like, yeah, you, 50% of what you're going to learn is going to be negative, like not even true. Really? Like how, then why in the world are we trusting that you see my point? Like it's, it doesn't make sense. That gets even worse. And now a consultant cardiologist for almost two decades But I I have learnt and slowly and reluctantly come to the conclusion 
that honest doctors can no longer practice honest medicine. Wow. Corporate greed and systematic political failure has brought the NHS to its knees. Pre-COVID. We have a complete healthcare system failure and an epidemic of misinformed doctors and misinformed patients. Wow. Based upon a number of factors. Bias funding of research. So it's research that's funded because it's likely to be profitable, not beneficial for patients. You see my point? Like, all this stuff is pre-pandemic. And clearly there's a vein of people that believe this and they're arguing for it, but it gets shut down every time. It gets ignored, it gets disputed, and they just the consensus of the politic, politicized medical field don't want this to be acknowledged because then they can't keep doing it. It's very clear. But the point is the data and the evidence have been, I mean, I keep showing you WHO and HHS comments and articles about this from 2011, 2007, where they're calling out the whole scam. All these pandemics of fear, and this is the WHO calling it that. Somewhere along the line, they shuffle those things to the side and they keep growing stronger. It's just, it's important. Now, I will stop this here and there because I want to make these points just for those that don't like when I do it, but I will try to let it play. Bias reporting in medical journals, bias reporting in the media, uh-huh. commercial That's conflicts true. of interest, and last but not least, medical uh, um, doctors' inability to understand and communicate health statistics. Wow. Think about that. The situation of over-medication has become so dire that one respected Cochrane collaboration researcher, Peter Gosher, has estimated that prescribed medications are the third most common cause of death after heart disease and cancer. How did I come to all of this awareness? I'm a frontline doctor. Medications are the third most researcher, Peter Gosher, has estimated that prescribed medications are the third most common cause of death after heart disease and cancer. Let that sink in. Prescribed medications are the third leading cause of death. You know what's above that? Medical treatment. So in the, in, in, at least in the United States. So we're talking about a world where you have treatment by the medical system being one of your leading causes of death. And then the medications they're giving you during that treatment, which may be conflate, are the third leading cause of death. Sure sounds like it's working out well, doesn't it? Meanwhile, they shut this all down. They say you're a conspiracy theorist and they keep making more pills and they keep making more injections. Doesn't matter. How did I come to all of this awareness? I'm a frontline doctor. I'm not a, I don't do original research. I just want to do what's best for my patients. In the summer of 2010, while working as a cardiology SBR, doing interventional cardiology, at three in the morning, I treated a patient with emergency keyhole heart surgery, stenting, in the middle of the night. He did well, he survived, and that was great. A great treatment. This person was saved by modern medicine. The next day on the ward round, I'm trying to you know, talk to him about taking his medications. Statin drug was one of those medications, aspirin. We're giving him a cocktail of drugs, life-saving drugs, we believe. And I'm also talking to him about the fact that he needs to stop smoking and Mm. follow a healthy lifestyle and eat healthy food. Ah. And as I'm telling him about eating healthy food, he gets served a burger and chips (laughs) by the hospital. And he looks at me and says, Doc, how do you expect me to change my lifestyle if you're serving me, a pardon my language, the same crap that brought me here in the first place. And it really got me thinking about how we got to a situation where in 2004, the World Health Organization declares obesity a global epidemic. Hmm. Where we are now, we have more than 60% of the adult UK population overweight or obese. One in three children, by the time they leave primary school, are in the same category, and this trends are getting worse. 
And now, and now today, they're trying to argue that being obese is not unhealthy, but just your choice. <laughs> it's very unhealthy, and one of the leading causes to, or that leads to most of the leading causes of like you know systemic inflammation and all, all the things we're talking about. Being overweight is very dangerous, not just because of the weight, but because what it does to your body and what it leads to. Doesn't mean that, it, but it's your choice. In no way should a government ever tell you that you can or cannot be. It's up to you. But being aware of the risks and owning that that's the reality are very different. And that's something that they're trying to hide from today. And remember during COVID, they, that's the last thing you start to talk about vitamins and exercise and eating healthy. They called you a conspiracy theorist. It's all there. We cannot drug people into being healthier, right? The real challenge we have in healthcare at the moment is lifestyle related disease. Poor diet contributes according to the Lancet global of disease reports to more disease and death than physical inactivity, smoking, and alcohol combined. Listen to that. These reports, according to the Lancet Global of Disease reports, to more disease and death than physical inactivity, smoking, and alcohol combined. The real challenge we have in healthcare at the moment is lifestyle-related disease. Poor diet contributes, according to the Lancet Global of Disease. I mean, just I just blows my mind that the Lancet can say so. Poor diet contributes more to unhealthy things than everything else combined, and yet that's the last thing they focus on. What does that show you? That that's I don't know how you don't see that as a conscious choice. Disease reports to more disease and death than physical inactivity, smoking, and alcohol combined. Wow. Now statins were mentioned, life-saving drugs, but what does that actually mean? Well. The reality is this, and I have prescribed statins to thousands of patients in my career, like Smarties. I've even started statins in A and E when a patient comes in with a heart attack because I believed and trusted the literature. And he was wrong. But when you look at the data, when you look at statins in secondary prevention in people with heart disease, who te- and this is a selected group from industry-sponsored trials, the median increase in life expectancy, according to a publication in the BMJ in 2015, the median increase in life expectancy for people taking a statin every day for five years in the trial was 4.2 days. Think about how ridiculous that is, and yet it's it's something that I mean, and yeah, as Oral points out, statins kill people. I mean, there's a con- this is stuff that's become at least a little more available, visible these days. But think about that information. That's this is a go-to treatment that they're after using because they're told it's the right thing to do, and the data. If you cared to look at it, shows you that they're not the right thing. And the point is that nobody looks. If they just care to look, they would realize that. But then they just point out at the beginning that most of these doctors are ha- they don't even ha- have the ability to really comprehend the statistics, which is exactly what's happening today. As they try out all these ta- pediatricians and people that just want to toe the line that really don't understand what they're talking about. And we're going to see that quickly flesh out over the next so many years as more and more people stand up and point out this has always been a problem. Not just COVID-19 vaccines, not just COVID-19 health, you know, the health system around this time frame, but has been and is now and will be, if we don't change it, the same thing. Another analysis showed we talk about reduction in cardiovascular mortality in the population. Most of the decline in cardiovascular mortality in the last 30 years has, become, has happened because of smoking reduction. Modern medicine has had a role, especially in acute treatments. That's interesting. So his point is smoking reduction drops dramatically the heart disease problems. And all they do is go, yeah, that's because of medicine. We did that. Pills and vaccines. Well, sure, it's easy to take the credit for it, but he argues differently. But interestingly, an analysis showed in Western Europe for secondary prevention, statins did not reduce cardiovascular mortality. 
Now, one of the reasons to understand that is because in the community, and this is before any media hype or potential scaremongering, 75% of statin users will stop taking a statin within a year. Hmm. Most of those people said it's because of side effects. Exactly. So really, the real issue is also understanding how reliable is the data that we have. Professor John Wanidis, professor of medicine and statistics in Stanford University, recently did an analysis of 60,000 clinical studies and concluded only 7% of those studies fulfill criteria for being high quality and relevant to patients. Wow. You talk about innovation. We have an innovation crisis, and part of that reason is because of the system is geared towards commercial interests, not that of patients. Now, here's an important part of this whole thing. This is exactly what's happening today and has been for a long time. It's what these pharmaceutical companies are doing, and they pretend like they're somehow altruistic entities that would never do something wrong, despite clear track records that show you that they almost try to do things wrong. Or however you want to look at it, that they always do, and they just, get, they just spend some money and they keep going. It's exactly what he explains next. Of the 667 drugs approved by the FDA between 2000 and 2008, only 11% of them were actually found to be truly innovative. 89 were essentially had no therapeutic benefit over previous drugs. And as I'm sure my colleagues in the pharmaceutical industry here know, you know, they have, a le- they have a legal, a fiduciary obligation to pr- produce profit for their shareholders. They do not, although we'd like it, to believe that, like it to be the case, they do not have a legal obligation to sell us the best treatment. Exactly. They spend twice as much on marketing and, uh, as much as they do on research and development. Right. No wonder we can't produce new, good, and innovative drugs. They don't care. But with the healthcare crisis that we have, the lifestyle-related diseases that we have, we have 70%, uh, 50% of people over the age of 70 who are on three medications. My God. Life expectancy increase. Very good point you mentioned here. Absolutely, medicine has had a role, but it's very minor compared to other things. So we've added about 100 years to our life expectancy since 1900. We've added about 30 years, sorry, since 1900. 100 years is a lot. <laughs> 30. It's gotten close to 100 years of the, the life expectancy, I believe. That's why he made that mistake. So added 30 years. 30 years. 25 of those years have come about because of safer work environments, <laughs> See? better Thank sanitation, you. clean drink, drinking water, um, seatbelts in cars, smoke-free buildings, antibiotics for infections, yes, vaccinations, yes. But I- yes, yeah, what's funny is I disagree with that personally, but you could argue it's in there, but obviously it's a secondary point. His point was all those first things are very clearly the response. They're the reason these things have dropped so much. And the medical system just owns it and says, that's because of our treatment. That's because of drugs. And well, you could prove at the very least, it's not entirely that, but that's what it becomes that modern medicine is what did everything and why we're so helpful. It's it's not even the case. And in fact, what you're going to see is people are getting increasingly not more sickly, less healthy. Actually, and, and acute treatments, but actually that most of what we're trying to deal with right now in the modern era is dealing with chronic disease, which is related to lifestyle, and that is not going to be counted with, with drugs that have very marginal benefits um, at best and come with significant side effects. Like so really, we need day. better drugs. I agree. We don't need more drugs. We need better drugs. And I believe in the next few years, we need a national campaign to reduce the amount of medications people are taking. And we need happen. to push for healthier lifestyles. And we need to be more transparent with patients. And then we can have better accountability, better transparency, and better quality of care that's lacking our health service at the moment. Thank you. None of them want that. 
clearly we can see because it didn't happen, right? That the, it went the exact opposite direction. People like this usually get shamed and, and relegated to the corner, right? But when the COVID thing began, he, he stepped in line because he probably thought it was the right thing to do, which he's now seeing was wrong, which he's now speaking up against. But my God, think about that pre-COVID. It's just, it, it's everything we're talking about. And that's exactly where we are today. It's everything that's still happening. This one is going to probably surprise some people. Maybe not because he has been slowly evolving in his understanding of this. But guess who else just spoke out? John Campbell has officially spoken out and said all of them should be pulled. Of all people, somebody who has very clearly been grudging, like very slowly coming along. But, you know, you can it's hard not to see it as honest at this point because he's, you know, he has his basis in classical understanding of this stuff, which is usually, you know, holds you back a little bit to see to accepting some of the new challenging contentious points or at least in engaging with them, but he has, and he's been watching them and comparing them, and, but he has more of a reliance on their statistics, but he's very clearly seen over this process that they, they lied. He's called them out for it. And so now, all of this time forward, people, somebody like Dr. John Campbell has said all of these should be pulled. I mean, you just can't miss how clear this is. It's either blind trust or acknowledging that the data is obvious at this point. Even the trust, the science crowd, is no longer trusting the science. Or the point is they never have been. They've been trusting what they told us. But what's embarrassing is that we're now being presented with people that were once on the other side presenting scientific studies, peer-reviewed, entire systemic reviews, British Medical Journal, Lancet, science, I mean, all of them. And all they do is just turn their heads and say, that's ah, probably conspiracy theory because I'm not supposed to think that. Welcome to this talk. My name is John Campbell. I'm a semi-retired clinical nurse. Oh, and one point somebody made before you listen to this straight through is that he's very rarely scripted. He's usually just off the cuff, re- talking and writing. You can tell this was scripted. And I think it's because he knows this is a, a dangerous thing to say, that you will be attacked, you will be persecuted, and he just wants to make sure it's exact. But I, I can't see that as anything else but courage, knowing that that's going to be the case. Nurse lecturer, academic researcher, author of numerous articles and two uh, textbooks. My specialisms are human physiology and pathophysiology, as applied to clinical practice. I've also produced many educational videos, which are used extensively around the world. In my view, the UK health authorities should pause the current COVID-19 mass vaccine rollout programme due to the risks associated with the vaccines. As time has passed, that's for everybody, every age, every category, pulled, not safe. Since the early days of 2020, the number of patients hospitalised with COVID-19 infections has continued to decline since its peak in previous waves. Now, here's one more point to make. I know I said I'd play it. <laughs> you, guys, you guys know my style. Here's one point to make. That he is still engaging with their posted data, and even that has led him to realize that these are dangerous. Think about what that shows you. He's not talking about all the other things. I mean, I, not in this point anyway. What he's pointing at is what they're reporting and their hospitalizations and those decreases and then pointing out that with that, you can prove that the now proven side effects are more than what we're seeing caused by what we claim is COVID. There's a whole bunch of caveats in there. Is it COVID? Is it fake part CCR test? Doesn't really matter in the point that this person is using their data to reveal that this is not safe, and yet it still continues. This is clearly seen in data published by the UK government and the Office for National Statistics. In addition, the proportion of patients in hospital with COVID-19 is now 
greater than the patients admitted to hospital for COVID-19. This is true for general hospital admissions as well as intensive care admissions. In other words, most COVID positive patients admitted to hospital now are incidental and were not admitted purely for complications of COVID. Meaning they were tested while there for other reasons and told they had COVID. Typically when they were on the deathbed, when they're elderly, when they're, you know, dying from other reasons, they test them as well. And, oh, well, you got COVID. And if they had COVID at all, no matter what they died from, it goes down as a COVID death. We've talked about this. They've changed the re- the logic in how they write these things to make it just in case. But now they use it as absolute fact, right? You can literally go in there with, with brain damage, a broken skull, you know, whatever, on your deathbed. And they give you a PCR test. And if it tells them false positive COVID, that goes down as a COVID death. We've Everyone's made this clear. What he's saying is that almost all of them are incidental. And you can see clearly that this, these things are not safe for people. As a result of mass infections during the various waves of the pandemic, especially the huge numbers of people infected with the Omicron variant, most people have developed levels of natural immunity to the virus. This natural infection also generates mucosal compartment immunity mm-hmm. in the respiratory tract, which the injected vaccines do not. While prior infection does not always prevent symptomatic disease, it does provide levels of protection against severe disease and hospitalisation. Disagree. This means the overall risk from COVID-19 infection with sars coronavirus 2 is significantly less than it was when the vaccination programmes were first instigated. However, the risks associated with and that in itself could be not true for all we know. But either way, that's what they argue today. So, again, using their data, ongoing vaccinations are probably the same as they were in the early stages of the pandemic and mass vaccination programs, meaning they're just as dangerous today as they were before. If I am correct in this evaluation, this means that the risk of COVID-19 infection has gone down while the risk of vaccination remains the same. This fundamentally alters the risk-benefit analysis of this current mass vaccination programme. I therefore consider that the UK government authorities should pause the current mass vaccination programme until a full population scale risk-benefit analysis is carried out and published for free and open peer review. Won't happen. I further call on the UK authorities to review the intramuscular injection technique used in the delivery of the mRNA vaccines. We just talked about this, and this is this goes to the um, I'm forgetting the word. He'll use it right here next in the way that they use the plunger, you know, on the syringe and they're supposed to perforate it. I forget I forget the term. He'll use it next. And the point is that if they don't, it can end up going into your blood vessels, which then is a fast track to your organs and your brain. And that's what we've already seen. We've seen this everywhere, and that is not the only reason that happens, because we've already seen other examples of this, but that's a huge important point. They, don't, they just don't care about any of this stuff, and even people on this point are seeing through this. Currently, after insertion of the needle, the syringe is not aspirated, aspirated. to ensure the tip of the needle is not in a blood vessel. This leaves open the possibility of inadvertent intravascular administration resulting in systemic spread of the mRNA vaccine particles in seconds. Now, interesting, this- what's important to understand is that 
remember the, the one of the main studies showed 11 of 13 people had spike protein circulating their blood within one day. So you could either argue that these people were that all of most of the nurses were doing it incorrectly or that there's another mechanism by which this ends up in your bloodstream. I think both are true. But ultimately, we've seen many of these where people have had autopsies and have mRNA in every organ in their body, which means that the spike protein is being rather that the mRNA with the instructions to create that is ending up all around your body. Like there's no way that makes sense. And they still in some places argue that it stays in your shoulder still to this very point would mean that mRNA vaccine particles would circulate in relatively undiluted form through vessels of the major organs of the body. Which we've seen proven by science. This video is specific to current mRNA vaccines. I continue to promote the massive benefit of other forms of vaccination in the UK and around the world. Now, I argue we should question these things especially today with what we're all beginning to understand about not just the actual science behind these or the, or the technical side of it, but the people behind it, the intent behind it. And we now see that. So I don't think any of these things should be taken at face value, whether or not the science is sound, right? I just don't trust any of these people anymore. And that's what people need to understand. And what they're pointing out is one of the biggest problems. They don't trust us anymore. Well, that's one of the problems. It's not just trust. I actually think some of these things are dangerous. Not, not, I'm not talking about the COVID injection alone here, but ultimately the point is that this is now, he is now going to be called an anti-vaxxer, despite what he said there at the end, because that's the only way they can play this game, because they're dishonest. Now here is Andrew Bridgden, Brid, Bridgden, conservative member of the Parliament of Northwest, uh, I'm going to mispronounce that one, Leish, Leicestershire, <laughs> those in the UK, let me know how badly I butchered that. Now the BMJ's Journal of Medical Ethics confirm vaccines cause more harm than benefit to your younger people. The rollout must be suspended and children must not be put at risk through these experimental mRNA treatments. It's just, and all he's doing is pointing out the study we already talked about. More people are seeing this. More doctors are standing up. And, as, and beneath this, I posted, oh, this one right here, the link to uh, one of Scott's recaps of one of our, our discussions on that exact topic net harm peer-reviewed science shows covid injection harm outweighs potential benefits which is exactly what it shows you not just the mandate and the, that age group but overall that these things are more dangerous in every way that's why all these doctors are saying not for just that group but across the board need to be pulled Here's Common Sense MD pointing out, I'm not a vaccinologist, infectious disease expert, or public health politico. I'm just a frontline doctor who, relying on common sense and 30 years of experience, knew from the beginning that lockdowns, masks, PCR testing, and experimental vaccines were bad medicine. Now, you can disagree with them all you want. The point is, there's plenty of evidence of people like this that saw it right out of the gate, not because they were guessing, but because they were skeptical and showed discernment. And it was very quickly revealed there was reasons to question this, like, you know, not releasing all the data or so on and so on and so on. But people just took the bait and ran with it. But in case you forget, before we go into the next part, these parts are important. This is the British Medical Journal, Journal of Medical Ethics of all places. COVID vaccine boosters, booster mandates in young adults are expected to cause a net harm. Very clear to prevent one hospitalization, almost 42,000 plus people need to get three different shots or up to that. And within that, stopping one hospitalization, 18.5 or more serious adverse events. There's just no way to under misunderstand that. More harm being caused than even if it stops that one hospitalization. And here's that actual article to read it for yourself on the Substack. 
Now, here's the other one we just pointed out, a systemic review, December 7th, where it shows 18 systematic reviews, 14 random controlled trials, and 34 studies with a control group, all of them coming to the conclusion that serious and severe harms of the COVID vaccines have been ignored and downplayed and sometimes deliberately excluded by study sponsors in high-impact journals. They are dangerous. They fail to consider the balance between benefits and harms and become negative in low-risk groups like children and people who have acquired natural immunity. The reality serious harms of these injections and it's all across the board here's another great one from elisevir science direct same point i keep making sustained synthesis of the spike protein in paris dna mechanisms or in paris dna repair mechanisms results in impaired innate immunity your immune system collapses increased risk of infectious diseases and cancers that's innate immune suppression by these injections very 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 clear the role of g quadruplexes interesting Now, all of that being said, and all of the other information we've already gone over, the endless body of work showing you these things are dangerous, here are what some of the other people are saying. This is Steve Barclay making a pretty interesting, uh, uh, acknowledging something pretty interesting. As Dr. Asim Holter points out, promote a vaccine that causes cardiac arrest, which we should all know by now. Even they admit grudgingly that it causes myocarditis. And then invest a drop in the ocean of what Pfizer made from the vaccine on defibrillators. I mean, he sees this, guys. You really couldn't make it up. This is probably even too surreal for people like J.K. Rowling. Listen to what he says here. A $1 million fund is expected to be placed 100, 1,000 defibrillators. So instead of doing anything to help you with what they cause, they're just taking more money to fund more. It, this is like giving you Narcan instead of dealing with the opioid crisis. It's the same game they always play, and this is what they do. They're benefiting from you on all sides. Today we're announcing an extra 1,000 defibrillators as part of a million-pound commitment. We're encouraging communities to match that uh, and also come forward uh, as part of their bids with match funding. But this is about getting uh, essential defibrillators out into more community settings, <laughs> like here at Stanford Hospital in Lincolnshire, where there's already five defibrillators, and people can then bid for more of those as we get them out into community settings, like here at Stanford. Yeah, and don't forget, they're also talking about, you know, schools, parks, which you've already seen it put out, random defibrillator stations. Nobody can pretend this makes sense. What caused the difference? Why are we suddenly installing defibrillators at elementary schools? I mean, it's just insulting to pretend this is not exactly what it looks like and that's why these doctors are calling it out because they do see it here's reed sheftall md saying the utter stupidity of dr emmanuel he says the vaccines prevent serious illness hospitalization and death which by the way even if they claim that there's no their own studies didn't even look into that they looked into reducing mild to moderate symptoms all they claim is they see observationally that they now claim that happened but that is also not true and we'll get to that with an ex with an expose article whether UK or the US. It's obvious the opposite is what's being seen. So they're just lying to you. It says, and to wear a mask. No, 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 and no. Vax people are dying all over the place and masks don't work for the public. Look at the literature. Good Lord, man. This is a doctor. Who wears them? Who's telling you this? This is, listen to MSNBC. She's shocked and appalled because her kids don't want to take boosters even as she tells them they have to. Great, great parenting as they trust the science, right? Or what you think it is. Dr. Zeke Emanuel, he is an NBC News and MSNBC senior medical contributor. Dr. Emanuel, thank you for joining us. You know, I listened to that 
doctor and you hear how tough it is inside hospitals at the moment and the, and the fears of new variants mixed with flu that is coming on. And you would think that the country would respond by saying, OK, we will make sure we are all up to date on all of our vaccines. But I had a strange conversation with my 22-year-old, my 16-year-old last night, and I said, OK, I booked you in for COVID updates. You're both back for the holidays. You're going to get your boosters. And both of them said, no, we don't want to. We've yeah. had enough vaccines, and we don't think we need them. How Good for them, right? These kids at least are making their own medical choices, which is the whole point, and realizing that they don't need endless boosters for the rest of their lives. And guess what? They'll probably save their lives because of it. But how much you want to bet she's going to force it on them anyway? Can you... I, I was... A sort of shocked and appalled but is this the kind of response you're seeing from young people at the moment that they just they think this is over and they don't need any more vaccines my god yes uh but i do would say that you know we keep thinking vaccines are going to prevent getting covid they don't prevent getting right. covid <laughs> don't you love that yeah you're dummy they don't prevent it remember how long and aggressively they tried to tell you that it did until we proved that and now they just act like you're stupid for thinking it ever did you got to love how dumb this is. What they prevent is serious illness, hospitalization, and death. Nope. Absolutely fake. And all the data is now showing that it's actually increasing the risk of getting it and increases their adverse events more and more and more with every single shot they get. That is peer-reviewed science. It's just, it's insulting to your intelligence. These people either don't care or this guy does not know what he's talking about. And young people think they're invincible. And yes, mm -hmm. they are at lower risk from COVID, but that's... Oh, you mean almost insignificant, not statistically significant? You mean 0.00003% risk of death? Yeah, do you think he knows that? That is from the Ioannidis group. I mean, even the Oxford calculator since the beginning has called under 19 a one in a million chance of dying. We use one in a million as a joke, like it means impossible. Ah, one in a million. And now he wants to just kind of brush it off as a little bit lower risk. No, they had a little bit lower. They had a low risk from the very beginning. Now you guys claim that's one one thousandth of the risk today. <laughs> I mean, these kids have never been at risk. The data makes that clear as they try to lie about 500 child deaths that you then get proven to be not even actually true. But Newsweek, for crying out loud, broke that down and said that these numbers are mostly not true. I think it was Dr. McCary from, from Johns Hopkins who made it clear that there's no evidence to back it up. They're assuming. Here he is, lying. It's not zero risk. There are only two things. And yes, mm -hmm. they are at lower risk from COVID, but that's not zero risk. There are only two things that really can prevent. That's their zero COVID policy, right? So 0.0003% risk is too much. So give them a bunch of medications that can increase their risk of myocarditis by way more than that. Or increase Bell's palsy, heart attacks, blood clots, and everything else. But that doesn't matter because all it is is about COVID, right? Apparently. And yes, mm -hmm. they are at lower risk from COVID, but that's not zero risk. There are only two things that really can prevent transmission of COVID, the COVID virus. One is a good mask, an N95 mask. You know, funny. And yeah. wearing it, especially in crowded situations on airplanes and transportation. And the other is better indoor ventilation. Unfortunately, we've gotten to a situation where neither of them seem to be a very high priority uh, to reduce the transmission. Uh, and I think that's where you reduce. Well, I would argue that ventilation is the only thing that would reduce these things, which is the what the expert on PPE reported to to a state level. I think it was a state level Congress meeting. I forget. He's an expert on PPE, as you've seen many times. And he says that's the only thing that should be done. Masks don't work in this regard, which because he knows the evidence. What I find interesting is this basic little incorrect statement. Hospitalization and death, invincible risk from COVID. 
There are only two things that really can prevent transmission of COVID, the COVID virus. Oh, you mean SARS-CoV-2? Or do you mean the disease called COVID-19? <laughs> Oops, right? These people are ridiculous. Like, I mean, come on, shouldn't there be more, more, more specific, right? I mean, or they just call it all COVID now? Isn't, isn't coronavirus also the, flu, or the, the cold and all these other things? I mean, remember, it's just so funny how the COVID virus is not even accurate. Right? I mean, is it, it's just interesting to me. Anyway, let's go back to the next part, seeing as how we've seen enough of that. This is Dr. McCullough uh, pointing out, needle in every arm has not stopped hospitalizations in New South Wales, which we just, we just got. This is exactly the report we were looking at, by the way. And it says, agree public health officials should be embarrassed for pushing the ineffective experimental product in the population. Epic failure. New South Wales weekly scoreboard says it all. Who is responsible for South Africa's low COVID-19 numbers and low excess deaths? The ones who did not follow the ridiculous lockdown rules, which were never based on science. And those who did not rush to take the juice, the vaccine injection, when they were low risk and had been exposed to COVID-19. I mean, it's just, it's impossible not to, to, to miss how obviously this, and all they can do is act like you're just misunderstanding. Well, explain for me how the high level experts who are far more credentialed than you don't think the same thing. Are they misunderstanding? Certainly possible. Pretty hard to say that with every single one of them, wasn't it? As they discuss and peer review and have meetings. No, it's obvious that you're being we're being lied to and gaslit. Natural immunity FTW points something really interesting to me out, or pointed something really interesting out to me. Let's plot this chart against the health decline in those countries over the next few years. Because she says, My psychic powers say there'll be a strong correlation. This is really interesting. This is vaccine purchase commitments per capita. Doses ordered per person. Now, I hadn't seen this before. I knew this was pretty high, but I now I asked her, and this is where it came from. Uh, this re, I'm not familiar with real newscast talking about the uh, trucker press. This is from February 2022, and it shows this graph. I can't find where this exact image comes from. I couldn't do I couldn't find the reverse. I, I did find one that's very similar, and this is posted on a, a, you know, a site that has the backup and the link for it and so on. But regardless, it seems to be the same point. Maybe if, if not a little less, the point is simply this. <laughs> Look at the number for those in the podcast. It has a list of every single country, the ones mostly committed to the injections and shows you by how many they've bought, what that basically breaks down to in regard to how many that would eventually be given to people. Or you could argue that they bought, I mean, in the, look, for instance, Canada, based on the amount that they bought divided by their population, that ends up being 11 doses per person. How do you even make sense of that? And by the way, remember, they bought these a long time ago and have been continually buying more. The point is, that means that they are already aware that you're going to get that many doses or they are willing to spend your money to let them just go bad and sit there. Come on, it's ridiculous. Underneath that, Australia, 10 doses per person. The United Kingdom, nine doses. European Union, six, right? I mean, it's, it's obscene. Now, again, just to be just in case we don't know, we can't corroborate that one graph. This is the one specifically about Canada's top COVID vaccine producer. This one claims 9.52 doses per person. And this was posted. This was posted on November 2020. So it seems logical that it's only gone up since then, which would make sense. Either way, guys, that's obscene. Like, why would they possibly need 10 doses per person unless they knew all the way back in 2020, which is your point right there. That, that they were going to give you that many. They're even getting accused of vaccine hoarding. The point is they knew, guys, this was always the plan. And just wait till we get to the end part because I think this is where this all connects. We are watching this played out. 
whether this is a bioweapon or some kind of illusion or whatever else, the point has always been, in my opinion, the injections and the technology and the nano bio nanotechnology effort, as well as the great reset overlap. And all of this is connected to it. Very interesting. So thank you, Natural Immunity FTW, for pointing this out. I think it's really important. Oh, and by the way, just in case you wanted to see it, here's Canada's breakdown. I love how they no longer talk about fully vaccinated or boosted. They just go, oh, by the way, we have 90% of people that have, have any dosage. <laughs> Great. So what does that mean then? So how do you even factor that in? So any dosage is now you're, how you're packing this in? So how can you, when are, we, when are you fully that? Oh, that's the point. You see, you're never fully vaccinated. All they need to know is that if you've played the game, or do you got some in your body or not? Pretty interesting. Well, this is the kind of stuff that they're pretending is happening. Now, this this one really, I mean, I thought I I I actually I, I thought this was a joke. I still almost wonder how in the world this can actually be possible. This is from a, a Cutter 2022 discussion of the World Cup on uh, Marca. Looks like a sports site. It says Egyptian man suffers heart attack and dies after celebrating Argentina's World Cup win. Now, I found this, I think it was on um, Al Jazeera, or I forget it was another platform. So it appears to be real. That they say they collapsed after the match as a result of happy heart syndrome. I'm not making this up. Young Egyptian man died from what's known as happy heart syndrome while celebrating in downtown Cairo after Argentina were crowned champions at the Qatar World Cup. It says because of his immense happiness, this is why that happened. We have to learn a lesson from what happened, says a cardiologist. We don't have to exaggerate an expression or sadness or happiness. Are you, I'm, seriously, Gamal Shaban on Facebook says, yeah, don't learn your lesson. Don't celebrate. You could have a heart attack. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the thing giving people over and over and over and over that they've admitted causes heart attacks. No, that can't be it. It must just be that you're happy. I mean... We have lost our minds if we think this makes sense for the people that do. Come on, guys. I my, This is insulting and disgusting because people are dying and all they can do is, oh, you just celebrated, you stupid. Immediately after the young man collapsed after suffering a heart attack and was taken to a nearby hospital where he died as a result of, quote, happy heart syndrome, a rare heart condition like SIDS or SADS or whatever else they want to name, whatever they want to name, that can develop in cases of immense happiness. According to the cardiologist who served as former director for the Egyptian National Institute of Cardiology. Guys, that's just disgustingly ridiculous. It's all over the place. Here's Nashville Angela pointing one out. Now, here's what's crazy to me. Just to be clear, we, I'm not saying I know for sure that the injection caused this. Not even close, because I wouldn't say that if I couldn't prove it. But what blows me away is that we're at a point where they're so afraid of even suggesting that it could have been connected that they go so far out of their way to pretend that there's no connect. Like, wouldn't we at least go, could it have been? Could it have been the thing that admittedly causes heart attack? No, you crazy madman. Well, you just said it can. Why wouldn't we consider that? I mean, it's just, it's so mind-blowingly obvious. Same point here. I don't know for sure whether this DHS employee who's had 10 surgeries since her booster is because of the booster. I, I would argue it's a very clear possibility with everything people are pointing out, but nope, you're not allowed to ask that question. DHS employee Jam uh, Padilla has had 10 surgeries since her booster in spring of 2022. 10. Five of those were for pacemakers her body keeps rejecting. Yeah, because it's super normal for a... For a uh, what was it? Oh, I thought it was... Um, I swear I read her age somewhere. She looks young, you know, 20, 30-something. 
It says, at the time of her fundraiser a few weeks ago, she was preparing for an open heart surgery. Nashville, Angela Nashville points out the links to prove this stuff so you can read it for yourself. I mean, it's just disgusting. Everywhere. Now, again, only because this is unparalleled. We've never seen this before. And sure, could it be something else? Of course I'm open to that possibility. But what blows me away is that the people telling you you're wrong without doing the due diligence haven't even looked into it. It's, it's mind-blowing. This one's going to be, this one's really sad. Like, really sad. So just prepare yourselves. If you don't want to shed a tear here, guys, I wouldn't watch this video. Because this is horrific. And it's happening all over the place. Now, same point. Whether we know for sure, we don't know for sure this was the injection. What we do know is that nobody wants to ask the question while we're watching the risks be ignored. While we know that there is no data on the pregnancy risk. Because it says so on their own documentation. But they still tell them that it's safe. Because that's what they're supposed to do. How can you miss someone you've never met? Because I need you now, but I don't know you yet. But can you find me soon because I'm in my head? GP said that it's highly recommended for pregnant women because the risk of getting COVID during pregnancy and having side effects and all this other stuff. Anyway, um, I got had my first dose and then three weeks later I had my second dose. Um, I had my second dose the day of that second scan. I have brought my photo to show you. This is awesome. Um, so this was on the 8th of December. And then on the 4th of January when we went to the hospital in WA is when we found out that he didn't have a heartbeat anymore. Um, and so for this scan, he was measuring um, 12 weeks and four days, which is... I think he was, we were 12 weeks and five days, but about right. Um, when they measured him, when we found out that he had passed away, um, he was measuring like just shy of 12 weeks, which is obviously smaller than that last scan. But at that point, um, he had... Um, he had been dead for... <laughs> like three and a half weeks um, inside me and my body like didn't know that he wasn't alive anymore. It's, there's so many doctors out there that are pointing this out. If it causes heart attacks, it can also do that to babies inside the womb. And there has been reports from do these very doctors that are reporting that they are seeing Heart attacks inside the womb. These are doctors in their practices that are speaking publicly about this. It's just, it's just so heartbreaking that people have to go through this when they think they're doing the right thing. And my point is, again, we should ask the question. For, for crying out loud, we're watching people have heart attacks. We are watching it affect people's hearts. And we can't even ask the question. Here you go. Here's the data right in front of you. How can the COVID jab, bivalent and original, be recommended as safe as the CDC claims for pregnant people when their current data shows they do not know, as it very clearly says, no data are available regarding these injections during pregnancy? 
These people need to go to prison for these kind of things. This is horrifically bad. It is everywhere. Frontiers points out new evidence suggests that nanoparticles not only cross the placenta and reach developing fetuses, but may also predispose them to food allergies. This is COVID-19 independent. This has nothing to do with that. Or it does, or the injection, but this article is not writing about that. But it's simply pointing out that when we sure as hell know there are lipid nanoparticles carrying instructions in how to create spike proteins. And yet here we have new evidence showing that nanoparticles cross the placenta, reach developing fetuses. Because that's not relevant, right? I mean, it's so very obvious, guys, and it's, 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 it breaks my heart. Now, here's a quick dance back to last year, and here's what the politicians were telling you, right? While this is all happening today, here's what they were telling you last year. And ask yourself whether they should be held accountable for this. Any of the vaccines dangerous or going to kill you? There's no evidence at all that any of the vaccines are dangerous. This is while Vayers reports are there. You can dismiss them all you want as unverified, but you damn well better regard it as evidence that hasn't been verified. Apparently doesn't matter. Or would kill you. They're all very, very carefully tested by our TGA. Um, That's going to age well, huh? regulatory authorities in the world. That's where we are. Lying to you directly. Now, here's the expose article. The MHRA that runs the yellow card system in UK is lying when it claims the harms of COVID injections are not serious. The MHRA continues to insist that the overwhelming majority of adverse effects of the COVID vaccines are, for example, sore arms and symptoms of a flu-like illness. But an examination of the yellow card reports proves this is untrue. It is known, and this is why people like Dr. Campbell are beginning to see through this, it is known that 90% of the adverse events are not reported to the yellow card system. So this is the, the point that Harvard and the HHS came to the conclusion of in regard to the buyer's reporting system previous to this which that's only 1%, they argued. 1% of the total reports end up on that system. The yellow card system, they said it was somewhere 10% or less. So that's where that number comes from. Either way you spin it, the vast majority, as everyone acknowledges, don't even get reported. So just factor that in with the disgusting number we see on Bayer's that they don't want to acknowledge or what you're going to see here. But it says, whatever the true toll in injuries and deaths, when the MHRA responsible for guaranteeing vaccine safety, in quotes, states that the overwhelming majority of these reports are sore arms, headaches, chills, tiredness, feeling sick, dizziness, weakness, and aching muscles. It's lying to the UK public. Or maybe, maybe they're lying by omission by calling things like, you know, disability in a wheelchair, eating through a tube, aches. You know, like they did with Matt Degare. Oh, she had a stomach ache. No, she's disabled in, in, a, in, a, in a wheelchair to this day, eating through a tube. And you guys wrote down stomach ache. It was very clear when it happened. They're lying to you. But here they're lying even worse. How do we know MHR are lying? MHRA? Because roughly three quarters of the adverse events reported to that system are categorized as serious. And you can now see for yourself. At the end of December 2022, they finally published the figures that distinguish between, between them for each of the different brands of vaccines, in quotes. And as we should by now expect of a privately funded government body that has repeatedly and consistently lied to the UK public since March 2020, the data contradicts their own assertions. In this article, I'm going to sh the expose is going to show how it should be clear by now that we have been lied to. But of the and I'm going to go over just Pfizer and then the end report. They go through each one of them here. Of the 177,925 yellow card reports of 
511,775 adverse drug reactions received after being injected with specifically the Pfizer biotech mRNA injection by the 23rd of November, 2022, 71%, 71% or 125,711 were categorized by the MHRA as serious. Let that one simmer for a minute. And rather than the sore arms, headaches, and tiredness described by the MHRA, these adverse reactions include 2,640 disorders of the immune system, 7,950 vascular disorders, 14,380 cardiac disorders, 17,670 blood disorders, 23,070 respiratory disorders, 31,790 reproductive systems and breast disorders, 58,340 musculoskeletal and connective tissue disorders and 84,730 disorders of the nervous system. You know, no big deal. This is all easy to check. It's, they, the expose always provides the source material and you can look on their report and see it for yourself. The, the data is undeniably clear. Summary of the yellow card reporting. As far as being the normal, expected, and coincidental illness of the aging demographic who just happened to be injected before suffering these symptoms, you know, the argument they denied in the beginning in regard to COVID and, you know, the whole thing where they, everyone matters, but on the other side of it, it's like, well, they were dying anyway. The serious adverse reactions were mostly in the young and healthy with 65% under the age of 50. So they're just blatantly misrepresenting what's going on. Now, he goes over AstraZeneca and the rest of the Moderna, NIH, the bottom line, for most serious adverse reaction to the COVID-19 injection is death, of which the MHRA has received the most serious. I mean, I, like I skipped that. That's the most serious, which we know. Of which the MHRA has received 2,362 reports, 857 after specifically Pfizer and the rest from the others. Given the loneliness in which people have been isolated by antisocial distancing and the fear created around anyone displaying any symptoms of illness, how many deaths after injection with these experimental injections have not been reported? Well, we already know, generally between 99 to 90%, according to the government. Should we estimate that as serious adverse events, only 10% of these have also been reported? Yes. And that the real death toll from the UK vaccination program is therefore closer to 23,620? Well, that sure sounds pretty close to what we're seeing in the US, doesn't it? Certainly, this would ex better explain the increase in excess deaths, not attributed to COVID-19 in 2021 and 2022. The bottom line here is you can't assume we know that it's only 10%, but based on the government stats of what they did for the very purpose of this exact understanding is use that report. They claim it's only 10%. So it's logical and scientifically based to, to estimate that it would be 90% more than that. Or in the state of the United States, in the case of the US, 99% more. But they don't want to acknowledge their own finding because it makes this look what it, as bad as it is. One of the less pleasant character traits of the COVID faithful is their arrogant, contemptuous, and cruel dismissal of the more than 1.54 million adverse reactions to these experimental and demonstrably dangerous injections. But whatever the true toll in injuries and deaths, when the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, the MHRA, when, when they are responsible for guaranteeing the safety, states that the overwhelming majority of the 474,000 yellow card reports it has received of adverse events to, this, to these injections are simply sore arms and headaches and so on, it is lying to you, to the public, not only about the risks and dangers of being injected with the experimental biotechnology, but also about the seriousness and the consequences of doing so. I mean, my God, it's exactly, the data is speaks for itself. 
and all the experts towing the line coming out and saying, yes, I see it. Yes, it's dangerous. I don't know. I don't know what people are missing. As Nashville Angela points out, coming off that other point, the Case Western Reserve University points out new study risk factor for developing Alzheimer's increases by 50 to 80 percent in older adults who caught COVID-19. Well, what else was doing that? What else was that study we saw real early about the prions diseases, like Alzheimer's, for example? Oh, right. That was the injection. Multiple studies came out right in the beginning and said severe risk of prions disease. And they all shot it down and made they forced the editors to retract it, even though the scientists disagreed. That's been happening the whole time. Well, it aged very well, didn't it? Now we see the problem. Now they're coming out and going, COVID does that. Well, certainly possible. Spike protein and all. But as she points out, how many never caught COVID until injected? There's two things to talk about there. Maybe they actually got whatever we're talking about after being injected, which they pretend isn't possible. Or maybe they just never caught COVID. They got something else because of the injection they called COVID. And either way, they end up blaming it on what they want. Something to think about. Now, to finish, well past what I was thinking, but, you know, not bad. I want us to consider where this really goes and where it really began. All what we discussed in the middle here. Going back to the beginning, the the overlap, the great reset, the brain machine interface, all of this stuff. What would have what could have been done to get them to that point? Right. Pre-COVID 2019. Right. It's obvious they're nipping at the bud of this direction, if not aggressively doing it in the background. All of it, the great reset, the all the things we talked about, the the techno technocratic future. Well, what would they do? What could they do? Well, the one thing they wanted to do was, you know, better map the brain and better understand how to efficiently achieve the neural link brain machine interface concept, right? So one way they could do that would be to flood the human species with some sort of nanotechnology, right? To figure it out. These are just all theories here. Certainly something's concerning with where we see this going. Well, keeping that in mind, let's look at what's being posted here. This is Dr. Peter McCullough. Altman et al. explains regulatory behavior and actions. Military operation all along, which, you know, FDA has no power to stop it, which is very interesting. No exemptions, no concern over harms that come after taking it. It's all been theater, apparently. It's not a public health initiative. It is a national security operation. This is a leading cardiologist in the world pointing this out. Here's the study. This comes from trial site news. Here's this point. Oh, well, here's the actual. I, I might go over this more in depth. There's a lot of interesting stuff in here. But just to the main point, and then we have more articles to back this up in a different direction. This is the did national security imperatives compromise COVID-19 vaccine safety? This is very interesting. Now, we all know Operation Warp Speed. Whitney's done amazing work on this. Derek's done amazing work on this. We've done excellent shows breaking all of this stuff down. This, is, this was a government military operation from the very beginning. Now, the point is, it still is. As it says here, a national security operation. There is now evidence to suggest that the SARS-CoV-2 virus, again, that was my point before, not the COVID-19 virus or the COVID virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which causes the disease of COVID-19. But let's let's not worry about the doctors misnaming these things because they know, right? Was, interp- was interpreted by the U.S. as a national security threat in early 2020. Furthermore, there appears to be strong evidence that the United States Department of Defense was and still is in full control of the COVID vaccine development program, including the clinical trials, which makes sense, development, manufacturing, quality assurance, distribution, and administration since 2020. 
which explains everything, really. The evidence shows that the chief operating officer for the Warp Speed vaccine program is the U.S. Department of Defense. Pretty big deal. It also shows that the chief science advisor in the U.S. of Health and Human Services. And that this is what we already I mean. You already knew all of this. The only thing that shifted was they pretended this was no longer the case. It is. This is based on evidence you can check out for yourself. And I don't think I, I don't think we ever really questioned that it was. But now this is just backed up by more and more evidence. It also shows that the chief science advisor in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, uh, it, it appears that all the pharmaceutical manufacturing and distribution is being done under contract with or by the U.S. Department of Defense. The major pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, Moderna, all the rest of them, have been involved as project coordination teams acting under contract to the U.S. Department of Defense. It's not what we're being told, is it? Communications to the American people by Anthony Fauci, Walensky, Alex Azar have been disingenuous from early 2020 to late 2022. Contrary to popular belief that international pharmaceutical companies drove the COVID vaccine development programs, evidence published now by the FDA themselves reveal a chain of command and control under Operation Warp Speed, whereby COVID vaccine manufacturers effectively performed performed as subcontractors to the DOD. That's crazy. I mean, it's, it's not surprising, but it just shows you that we're being deceived here. Such overall authority and control could account for the apparent readiness of the FDA to significantly compromise or trade off the normal safety standards for the sake of expediency, given the DOD imperatives and perceived emergency, right? Sort of like the national security emergency, same point, where suddenly it just doesn't matter. The FDA has played fast and loose with the safe and effective, the emergency use authorization, as we have proven and exposed into the ground. The nature of gene-based vaccines, the true nature of the COVID-19 vaccines, in quotes, has been largely misrepresented by mainstream media, big pharmaceutical companies and governments, and these serious therapeutic agents, consequently, are poorly understood by the population at large. Referring to these products as, quote, vaccines led most people to consider these therapeutic products to be relatively safe and well-researched, and they readily accepted their widespread use without question. However, these COVID-19 vaccines are not really vaccines. They are serious gene-based therapies which employ a gene-based technology which has never before been deployed in fully approved therapeutic products. In this sense, they should properly be considered to be experimental and much safety and efficacy information has been gained since the introduction of these products almost two years ago, which is what they're denying today. COVID-19 injections fall under the U.S. FDA Office of Cellular Tissue and Gene Therapies the definition of gene therapy products, in that these products involve introducing a new or modified gene into the body to help treat a disease. Everything about this is clear. Despite this, the FDA did not evaluate this therapy in relation to the specialized and established gene therapy guidelines. Gene therapies have never been widely used in a general population. God only knows what it's going to do. While gene therapies have been the subject of considerable research over the past couple of decades, their application has been limited to the treatment of usually rare, serious, and debilitating disease and genetic conditions. The reason being is that these products have a potential to cause permanent intergenerational genetic damage, cancer, and interfere with reproductive capacity. Yeah, exactly what we're seeing. Maybe short of the permanent intergenerational genetic, because that's what we're going to see going forward generation to generation. Gene therapies are viewed as a special class of therapeutic agent due to these potential risks, including death and irreversible harm. For this reason, the FDA and other drug regulatory agencies 
have put in place detailed rules and guidance documents to direct manufacturers in the development and testing of these products. These guidelines cover both preclinical and clinical research. Due to the obvious and accepted inherent risks, gene therapies have never before been considered for mass deployment in a population. So what they do? They lied to you about it, especially to healthy individuals, including children, infants, and pregnant women. To facilitate general population acceptance, there was a concerted effort to avoid referring to them as gene therapy. However, the fact is these products utilize the delivery of genetic material to produce a pharmacological effect. Advocates of gene-based vaccines argued that because the genetic material was not intended to be incorporated, even though it is, or modify the expression of genes with DNA, even though they are, these products should not be considered as gene therapy. However, a distinction would appear, would, such a distinction would appear to have more to do with market acceptance than the science. I mean, it goes on and on, guys. It's so obvious to me that there's an overlap here. Now, this is the next important point. He also points out, Latipava mass mandated DOD program. Big pharma companies are effectively shields for the DOD to execute their national security operation on the public. Explains why government agencies willfully blind to outcomes. It really does. This is important. The role of the U.S. DOD in COVID countermeasures enterprise. Now it says all COVID countermeasures, including the biological warfare agents marketed as COVID-19 vaccines, were ordered by the U.S. DOD as a large-scale manufacturing demonstration via other transactions authority contracts. Hundreds of COVID countermeasure contracts became available via FOIA and SEC disclosures in redacted form. Review these contracts. Review of these contracts indicates a high degree of control by the U.S. government, DOD, BARDA, and specifies the scope of deliverables as demonstrations and prototypes only. Think about that. That's what you're putting in your body. In other words, the U.S. government and DOD specifically ordered a fake theatrical performance from the pharmaceutical manufacturers just to make extra certain that the pharmas are free to conduct the fakery. The contracts include the removal of all liability for the manufacturers and any contractors along the supply and distribution chain under the 2005 PREP Act and related federal legislation. Now, that's an important point to not miss. I keep making this point from the beginning. It's not just the manufacturers. It's any contractor along the chain. We're talking about including the nurse supplying the shot. I made this joke before. She could literally slip and jam you in the eye and you wouldn't be able to sue them. Now, I argue there's probably a way you could make that happen. But the argument here is that they're included in the distribution chain. They, they remove liability. It's unprecedented. The contractors are structured under the other transactions authority. A method of contracting allows federal agencies to order otherwise regulated products, bypassing any regulation. Exactly. And well, as well as financial accountability mechanisms that cover standard government contracting and other laws that regulate disclosure and intellectual property derived from public funded research. So in other words, they literally did everything in every way to make sure that this was not something you could look at. You can't check it. You can't see the data. Gee, I wonder why the FDA is still pretending, or rather the company, Pfizer is still pretending they're going to drag this out for years, dripping out the information. This is why. Because it was never meant to be seen. Because these are ways that they go about this. They, they, they make it seem like it's normal processes while they give you a gene therapy, DOD contracted military agenda. Other is a catch-all category that is not a contract, not a research grant, not a procurement, not any normal regulated accountable government contracting. Here's a typical contract scope for vaccines. You can read it for yourself. This is the, as they say, the typical. 
It says, while the DOD barred a countermeasure contract refer to safety and efficacy requirements for vaccines and mention current good manufacturing practices, compliance, these items in the DOD version are explicitly carved out and not being paid for nor ordered by the U.S. government. Great. So they, they removed the things about that requirements for safety and efficacy. What does that show you? It gets even more interesting when we examine some of the redactions in these contracts. So other than removing the need to make them safe, you know, basic stuff, it says, I know what is in the redacted part of the above paragraph. And I, it was not hard to figure out. The first redaction under 111 background is Fosun Pharmaceuticals. So why would they redact that? So the sentence reads, Fosun Pharmaceuticals, Pfizer, and Biotech entered into an agreement for the co-development. You, you can right there, and it goes forward, and that's what's blacked out. Now it says, Pfizer Biotech is really a third-party R&D alliance. Fosun Pfizer Biotech, and by party, I mean that one of the three is the Chinese Communist Party. Very interesting. Fosun is a huge Chinese conglomerate that owns a large number of global companies, and its chairman is a very high-ranking member of the CCP. Do you think the U.S. government doesn't know this? That's exactly why the things are being redacted. There's more coordination here than we want to realize. It is curious that the U.S. DOD awarded $10 billion, Pfizer Operation Warp Speed, DOD, BARDA contract, to a venture whose substantial equity holder is the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, you have to see, this is why they pretended they stopped things in Wuhan, but maintained the projects elsewhere in China. We're being played, guys. And of course, one side of the two-party illusion is screaming at you that it's only China bad guy, because that's how this game is played. Now, in no way does that mean they're not. They're all bad guys, as far as I'm concerned. For avoidance of doubt, it says, below is the timeline of some, some of the key investments and R&D details, deals I was able to identify from public SEC shareholding disclosures, immediately proceeding and following the, quote, pandemic. It says, in July 2020, the DOD awarded other transactions agreements under the authority of US, 10 USC 37IB to Pfizer, value of $10 million. Very interesting. Now it says down here, just to make sure we are talking about the exact technology in the mRNA shots, here is the definition from March 17, 2020 agreement between Pfizer and Biotech. It's exactly what we're talking about, and it does mention pursuant to the FOSUN agreement. Well, look at that. The same documents describes a data sharing agreement, pharmacovigilance. Remember Monsef Salawi and the monitoring of every popula- everyone in the population who got the injection well after this, not talking about trials? That's still happening, by the way. Globally, among three parties. So apparently that means this Chinese company is monitoring you. They will count the bodies and share the data with each other. Remember, pharmacovigilance was not a trial thing. That was monitoring the rea- the lives after the injection of everybody that took them, according to Monsef Salawi and Operation Warp Speed. On the pharmacovigilance aspect, there is a fourth participant in the arrangement, the Israeli Ministry of Health. Who didn't see that coming? Which entered into a data sharing agreement with Pfizer on January 6, 2021, and gave Pfizer January 6. That's an interesting date, isn't it? Maybe we're being distracted. And by extension, USDOD and anyone who controls it, biotech and anyone who, uh, biotech and anyone controls it, FOSA and anyone who controls it, CCP. Right. So all of them are sharing data. Access to their citizens' centralized electronic health records. But don't worry, Benjamin Netanyahu promised to keep the data de-identified, right? Even though he's already been caught not doing that. They've already been caught using it for other reasons and so on. So is, I think, France and the UK. Everyone, they're all using it. That was the whole point. But think about it now. So we've got a Chinese company, not necessarily provably the Chinese government, but it's something you can consider, along with 
Pfizer, the DOD, and Israel. Apparently, it was a secret agreement to make this and pretend that they were doing the checking and balancing. And here we are, acting like this is not as alarming as that sounds. Side note, Israeli government recently misplaced. This is a real story, by the way. I, this is so ridiculous. Recently misplaced the manufacturing and supply agreement, the what we're talking about, with Pfizer mentioned in the data sharing agreement above. So we know for sure that it exists. The government sadly cannot find it for some reason. Somehow this came out on Israel's side of it, and they're reporting that Israel actually said that they misplaced the agreement. What do you mean? We're, we're living in a digital world here. We're going to pretend like they have one physical copy and they can't find it? I mean, they really think we're this stupid. This is hiding what we're talking about here. This gets even larger and more interesting when looking at the sources of R&D, research and development, financing. It turns out there were numerous financial backers and co-investors in the BioNTech venture in the years preceding the global fraud and mass murder exercise. Now, remember, we already talked about this. Nobody can explain why this happened. According to Crunchbase, BioNTech, a tiny company with just a handful of employees and zero products or scale manufacturing, apparently raised $1.7 billion in nine rounds of investments since around 2008. Large portions of the money, $1 billion plus, was raised before 2020. That's, the, that's more than half of it. What was, well, it were, yeah, what was, for, what, what, what was it for since no big clinical trials or mass manufacturing was happening then? Apparently, they just all guessed exactly right. Or as Bill Gates and everyone else said, oh, we just, we saw, they invest in these companies before something. It didn't make sense from a fiduciary point or from just a personal investment point, but they did it anyway. And boy, did it work out for them. The point is, this doesn't make sense from any perspective. What it does suggest is foreknowledge. Note, it says, many people ask me, what about Russia and China? When I talked about our own government and DOD engagement in mass genocide of Americans, she already answered the China part. They're allied with the DOD on this. So before we get further, this is what she's arguing at the very least, which seems to make the most sense, that this is a coordinated effort. That's even what the new whistleblower, speaking about the overlap, is saying as well. And apparently getting no acknowledgement from the new, from even independent media. It's, I, I actually reached out to have him on for an interview, but I haven't heard back. The interesting part about this is that this obviously seems this way. Now, the Russia part of it's a different angle. I still argue that all of them seem to be somewhat in, in, engaged with this agenda. But what they're saying here is that this seems to be more about the, like the divide there would make sense. It's just her opinions though. But bottom line, it says, we have already established the COVID-19 vaccines are bio, are bio warfare agents. Legally not medicines, not pharmaceuticals, and not regulated as such. Use of the emergency use authorization covered countermeasures under a declared public health emergency cannot constitute a clinical investigation. Therefore, these countermeasures could not be tested for safety or efficacy in accordance with U.S. law, nor could compliance with, good, with current good manufacturing practices or good distribution practices be enforced by the FDA. This is what Dr. Mal- or Dr. Uh, McColl is pointing out. So apparently, we're all being deceived about any of this being actually engaged with and, re- and regulated. This legal fact was known to the U.S. government, to the DOD, to the BARDA, to BARDA, to FDA, CDC, HHS, all the officials signing these contracts involved in the Operation Warp Speed. And it was also known to Pfizer, Moderna, and other par- pharma companies. mRNA technology has always been designated dual use, guys. Which she's right. That's a category of bioweapon, which has always been the point. From the start, COVID pandemic was treated by the U.S. government as a national security matter, i.e. war. And COVID policy was set by the National Security Council, not the HHS. It's very obvious what this appears to be. 
All we're ever asking is for people to ask the questions. Now, here is an alarming piece from Consortium News pointing out that the CIA is involved and always has been in laboratories, you know, making vaccines. (laughs) Explain for me why the CIA is making, you know, quote, vaccine, yeah, bioweapons. No, that's a very alarming thing because the CIA is not in the interest of protecting you in any way. They like to pretend that. I'd say the same thing about the FBI, to be honest, but the CIA is not out there trying to make vaccines to keep you safe from illnesses. That's not what the CIA is supposed to do. So what does this mean? You can't see this as anything other than defense, or rather, excuse me, Steve, and I could fall into their traps. War active aggression with these kind of alarming things. As it says, the CIA has long had labs, whether overt or covert, where terrible things happen. The Central Intelligence Agency announced in October 2020, which was ignored until just the past few weeks, when it began circulating on social media, that the CIA had launched something called CIA Labs, a federal laboratory and in-house research and development arm for the CIA. Yeah, that's not disconcerting to apparently drive science and technology breakthroughs for tomorrow's intelligence challenges. The agency says that CIA labs will join with the network of more than 300 other federal laboratories and that it will serve as a research partner for other labs, academia, and industry in disciplines spanning from artificial intelligence and biotechnology to quantum computing and advanced materials manufacturing. That's pretty obvious. The CIA Deputy Director for Science and Technology, Don Meridix said in a statement, quote, in an involving landscape, CIA labs will help us maintain our competitive edge and protect our nation. And rightly, he writes, whatever that means, what it's whatever they want it to mean. When I was at the CIA, he writes, and this is written by John uh, Kirikow, I believe is how you say, I think it's how you say his name. When he was at the CIA through the 1990s and into the middle of the next decade, the deputy director for whom he worked was fond of saying over and over again that the job of the CIA was simple. Recruit spies, to steal, dang it, hold on. Ah, I did it anyway. God darn it. Just highlighted one, missed, whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I had it all highlighted and screwed it up somehow. But it says, where was it? Dang it. Right here. Recruit spies to steal secrets. Then analyze those secrets so that policymakers could make the best informed policy possible. Right, so inherently dishonest. Right, like Pompeo would tell you, lie, cheat, and steal. That's what they do. So it's stupid that we pretend that they have your best interest at heart. Since that was a fantasy at best and disingenuous propaganda at worst. The truth is that the CIA for decades has been active in areas including labs and experimentation, from which it should have stayed away. They make a point about here about, so all the way, long before the Roomba was ever something being used, that apparently they had this thing cutting the grass in the CIA's square, where you, you know, not for the public, basically going, oh, it's some invention we don't know what to do with, which then later became the Roomba, he says. So good luck with that Roomba circulating your house. Who knows what that's actually doing? But my point here, as he points out, the new lab is actually not new. The CIA has long had labs, whether overt or covert, where terrible things happened. Before they celebrate this new CIA labs, they've done things like MK Ultra, or I would argue a lot of this is kind of variations of MKUltra. You know, like this one's interesting, whatever you, however you pronounce that, a program whereby the CIA would infiltrate foreign pharmaceutical companies to steal their drug samples and information about drug development. Yeah, exactly. And would then seek to duplicate or modify them or sabotage them and make people sick. Or in this one, it was about you studying on dopamine and morphine 
and using it had expanded to use hallucinogenics and LSD. And it, this is part of MKUltra, I argue, and, and dosing people. Same thing here, Operation Midnight Climax. You've heard about this one, where what they did was CIA safe houses in San Francisco, and then they dosed non-consensual consenting, consenting adults with, you know, all, with drugs and tested them when they were in prostitutes. I mean, these people are gross. These are horrific things they did to people. People died during MKUltra. There's a famous case where the guy jumped out the window. They lied about it forever until his family grudgingly proved it. The CIA's very first foray into drug experimentation was Project Chatter, in which both animals and humans were dosed with drugs uh, to, uh, what to say, and mescaline to see what, what they might do. <laughs> Great. Now, God only knows if that's one of the things they're doing to you right now. Maybe this right now is one of their agendas to see what it will do. He says, as you can see, the CIA's track record when it comes to developing things in labs isn't a good one. And we only know about those above programs to things like the church committee. That's probably a crack through the door. There's probably an entire body of horrific work we have no idea about. Stemming all the way back to the end of World War II and Dr. Ishii and the Operation Paperclip and whatever else came before it. I mean, these are horrific people that they brought on their side and took the research of that were doing dangerous and alarming things with biotechnology and with God knows what else. All the horrific things the Nazis were doing just got absorbed into the United States government. You, this is documentable information. Same thing with Dr. Ishii in Japan. That's, that's the basis for the bio-research program in this country, and we're still doing it. His bottom line, I don't care how proud CIA is of this foray into government labs. I don't care if it considers itself to be a research partner for other labs. I don't care if its leaders believe that they have a place in artificial intelligence, biotech, or anything else. The CIA has proven time and again that it can't be trusted. Somebody who used to work for the CIA, or maybe still does. The CIA has no business in creating a lab. It shouldn't exist. So, all that being said, there's some interesting overlap here. Former director of DARPA, Regina Dugan, in 2020, told Yahoo Finance that mRNA was in their plan since 2010. Call her for Senate Congressional Inquiry. Who gave her this terrible concept for mass use product? Well, it's interesting, right? So now we've got this deep overlap all the way to 2010, where the, the the very people we're talking about, the DARPA, the DOD, were working on a mRNA product, which was which we know they've been working on in general, but they're talking about this in the context that's concerning, and all of this overlaps with this DOD project using nanotechnology, which we'll get to next. Specifically, in this case, you could see the mRNA being discussed which we now see is being used very dishonestly, which is hurting a lot of people. It says, this, is, this, this article goes back to 2020. 2020. And what I remember was a pivotal moment in 2010. We can't wait the normal three to 10 year for a vaccine. And what if, and what if instead we could use mRNA to create a vaccine in days and weeks instead of the normal years-long timelines? They're trying to trick you into doing that now even though it's literally killing people. So what's important is that at a time DNA vaccines have been tried, they made protein, but they didn't produce enough. They, so apparently these are producing more proteins. Great. They lacked potency, so there wasn't a strong immune response. And Dan argued that mRNA could be different. The point is 2010, guys. There's a problem here. Here, a 2016 speech by Fauci's conduit, this is uh, EcoHealth Alliance, DASAC, Fauci's conduit to the Wuhan lab explaining exactly how the lab would make COVID. Or specifically, as this says, here is a 2011 Washington Post op-ed by Fauci and Collins arguing that gain-of-function research was worth the risk. Listen to Mr. Dazak telling you. And this is the same point, guys. 
that these are things that they knew that they were working on how to make these more dangerous, pretending they're working on vaccines. And other coronaviruses in bats, a whole host of them, some of them looked very similar to SARS. So we sequenced the spike protein, the protein that attaches to cells. Then we, well, I didn't do this work, but my colleagues in China did the work. You create pseudoparticles, you, look, you insert the spike proteins from those viruses, see if they bind to human cells. And each step of this, you move closer and closer to this virus could really become pathogenic in people. That's gain of function. That's what they did. That's what they're still doing. And that's what led to this. That's, it's the simple reality. Now, here's a tweet from La French Con Action. U.S. Naval Research Laboratory, Center for Biomolecular Science and Engineering, have been working on bio-nano hybrids for a very long time. Now, this is all connecting to a point, so stay tuned to the end. Doesn't this, doesn't this describe perfectly what many scientists have observed under a microscope when putting the mRNA shots under their lenses? Watch for yourself. Started in the mid-1980s. The Naval Research Laboratory is one of the first uh, DOD laboratories to, es to be established. Currently, we are involved in several programs that seek to integrate biomaterials with nanomaterials. Which is exactly what the World Economic Forum and even Elon Musk is talking about. Senior scientists for biosensors and biomaterials. Don't forget that Biden literally just signed his bio, uh, bio economy executive order. We're, they are building the biosecurity state right now. This has been planned and been prepped for for a long time. With nanomaterials. Bio-nano hybrids are nanomaterials which have components of both classes of materials. For example, a semiconductor quantum dot, a gold nanoparticle, a carbon nanotube or carbon uh, fullerene. Yeah, people talk about the carbon and graphene oxide in these conversations. It's all, it's, it's all overlaps. It's not crazy to consider that, seeing as how numerous studies have been written exactly pointing about how carbon or graphene oxide is the next thing for vaccines. And yet they act like we're, it's clown, like clownishly stupid to even talk about it. Like it's a complete conspiracy theory, despite a whole body of science talking about that thing decade ago being the future of vaccination. You know, so, and so we need to ask whether we are being lied to here. And they'll also be functionally integrated or display biological components, such as DNA or enzymes. They're an amalgam or a functional composite of the two. And what we're interested in is how they're able to work in sync and do much more or exploit properties of each for uh, value-added applications. We try to develop a fundamental understanding of, of how nanoparticles can be interfaced with cells controllably. So that nanoparticles can be moved from being used as a mere label of a cell to now being able to be used to control cellular function. To control cellular function. Right, this is old. They've been working on this since the 80s. We're talking about using exactly what we're talking about. Nanotechnology. Lipid nanoparticles are an example of that. Doesn't mean that's what this is, but we should ask these questions that can eventually control your cell. I mean, we're talking about using this to you to create drug responses, right? I mean, I've played this opening clip a million times. This is exactly what they're talking about. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells 
in the body in order to make them into drug factories. So using your body, using this nanotechnology and genetic therapy to turn your body cells into something that produces what they want it to or whatever else they want to do. That's what we're talking about here. That's what is possibly happening today, or at least the attempt to see if it works or to test something as people are dying and being hurt all over the place and they're lying about it and pretending it's not happening. We have a project right now that's looking at understanding how to target specifically a nanoparticle that's introduced into a cell and have that nanoparticle target a specific protein. And so the way we do that experiment is we have cells expressing a protein of interest and then we physically microinject nanoparticles. In this case, they're semiconductor nanocrystals or quantum dots. And we can actually visualize in real time the assembly process of the nanoparticle to the targeted protein. Wow. We... Well, that's very interesting. Two last points to tie this all together. Here's the same plat, same uh, Twitter account. U.S. Department of Defense Agency, DARPA, or rather the, you know, the defense, uh, the, well, DAR the U.S. Department of Defense Agency, DARPA, not that that's the acronym for it, nanotechnology-related efforts, 2003. Thank you for sharing this. I'm, I'm glad you posted this stuff. Here is the na military nanotechnology page. Here's, I'll just show you the um, beginning of it so you can see the title page. Potential applications of preventative arm control. Very interesting. Now, I forget where this was. I think it was 2003, right? Yes, 2003. Now, here's what here's, he highlights a couple of interesting parts. I had a little bit more than that, but basically going off what he's pointing out, we should, we should go through this in depth. Here's what it says. And remember how 2003, and we just pointed at, we just talked about, and all the timelines, the DOD control, it says a rather near-term application is connected with biocompatible magnetic nanoparticles that selectively attach to biomolecules or cells. This could enable not only biodetection and diagnose, diagnostics, but also initiating and monitoring of functions within the cell. DARPA, Biomagnet ICs 2003. Future possibilities for manipulation of cells will likely allow marketed modifications of human nature that could be used for many military purposes. You know, or test it on you in the real world time, right? Like something, it's amazing that this is not at least considered as this is exactly what we're dabbling in. Here's another alarming part. Implanted internal monitoring, data processing, and communication systems. This would need nerve brain contacts to transfer information. Okay, well, now you see the overlap with the machine brain interface and why that's so valuable to this exact part. It's, before now, I didn't really, I mean, there's plenty of overlaps. But specifically with what they're doing with the injections and what that might be doing, apparently they need nerve brain contacts to transfer information that I guess take the data that they're collecting, assuming that's still needed today, 20 years ago almost. So the point is that that could be something completely different today. It could be done by signals or Wi-Fi or whatever else we're talking about. Either way, it's interesting to see that that's something all the way back then that's being applied right now. And weirdly, the owner of Twitter is an avid proponent of that proponent of that communicating complex thoughts or feelings would need contacts to the associative brain cortex since the representation there is mostly unknown major progress in brain research would be needed before transfers could be envisioned envisioned envisaged <laughs> the point is maybe what they're doing now maybe what's already being done maybe what elon's working on maybe what anybody who knows this is overlapping and concerning
mechanical enhancement could work with integrated enhanced tissue, muscle, bones, and tendons. System-wide modification of biochemical processes in the body, maybe that's what's happening right now in your body if you're taking these injections, will probably arrive in 5 to 10 or 20 years. Okay, so we're talking about 2003, 2001, so right now or before this. Targeted manipulation in body cells what they're talking about, would likely become possible in 10 to 20 years. So right now, implants for monitoring body status and releasing drugs could come into being in five to 10 years. So apparently that happened a long time ago, if that's correct. Okay, final point. I want, to remem- I want us to remember a very central and weirdly disconnected point of the COVID-19 beginning. The arrest and shuttling away Charles Lieber, who apparently is still working on Scientech. I just saw a study that it was his name on it. Maybe that's just because they retroactively gave him. I don't know. But nobody seems to really know what's going on. Wasn't he supposed to be arrested for some kind of national security risk or treasonous overlap with China? Apparently not. Either way, this I've always argued was a central point to all of this. That something tied this back to everything. And I think what we're seeing here is that the DOD. The reality of what they're really doing, the Department of Defense, the reality of what they're really doing, the overlap with these exact efforts and the injections they're using today, and all the way back then, what they're talking about, and how that is almost exactly what we're seeing put in people's bodies today. And now consider this with all of that. Virus-sized transistors, actual nanobots that are the size of viruses in 2011 as they pretend that they've got these clunky big things you can assert in your arm, and that's the leading technology, as they've got literal transistors that are the size of a virus in 2011. Imagine being able to signal an immune cell to generate antibodies, you know, like we just talked about. That fictional possibility is now a step closer to reality with the development of biocompatible transistors the size of a virus. Biocompatible. Fourth Industrial Revolution. Charles Lieber. And his colleagues, you know, the guy who quickly got rushed away in the beginning of all this, the leading scientist in the world on this technology, and his colleagues used nanowires in 2011 to create a transistor so small that it could be used to enter and probe cells without disrupting the intracellular machinery. You know, like they were just hoping to reach back then, the article we just read. These nanoscale semiconductors switches these semiconductor switches nanoscale could even be used to enable two-way communication with individual cells devising a biological interface in which a nanoscale device can actually communicate with a living organism has been an explicit goal from the beginning you don't see the overlap by now that i don't think we want to when he finally in- engineered the tiny device which means that 2011, they already had this, and tried to insert it into a cell. However, he had no luck inserting it into the cell. But guess what, guys? Guess what the revolutionary step that was developed that made that work? When his team coated the hairpin nanowire with a fatty lipid layer, lipid nanoparticles, to encapsulate what they need to insert into the cell. Weird. It's exactly what's happening today. Is that what you're inserting into your cells? In some cases, I don't know, certainly worth asking the question. The device was easily pulled into the cell via membrane fusion. This innovation is important, Lieber explains, because it indicates that when a man-made structure is as small as a virus or bacteria, it can behave the way biological structures do. 
So you wouldn't even know, guys, if COVID-19 was literally this that got out of control. Literally created a virus that did this kind of stuff that then got tested, used, got out, became a virus in and of its own right. Who knows? The point is, this guy got rushed away. Everything was shuttled away. And no one's talking about this overlap because he was working with China. I I, I don't know how we can ignore this anymore. Such devices might one day provide hybrid biological digital computation. There you go. Or deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's patients. That sounds familiar. Or serve as an interface for a prosthetic that requires information processing at the point where it attaches to its owner. Where did we hear this before? Those are the claims that Elon is spreading right now about why what he's doing is important. That doesn't prove any kind of connection, but I'll tell you what, it sure concerns me. It's sure an interesting overlap that I think we should wonder. I don't know how these things aren't logical, fair questions to ask. We know they are, but in the corporate discussion, All of this connects. All of this overlaps. These aren't conspiracy theories. They're literally working on this stuff. So where is this right now? 2011. Where's this groundbreaking virus-sized transistor that was going to change the world? Apparently, no one talks about it anymore. I wonder why. Maybe, maybe it's because of this. Started. Oh, wrong one. This one. Nobody will be safe if not everybody is vaccinated. Are you vaccinated? If I yes. may ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very, very pro-vaccination. Yeah. Right? We've, uh, it's, the science is unequivocal. Can you imagine that? And he said that about COVID injections specifically. But yes, that's that was a while ago, so he could have changed his mind. In ten years, when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our uh, brains, and um, I can immediately feel because you all will have implants. Just think of sensors. Planted into our brains. Basically implanted in your skull. So, uh, <laughs> but it would be so, uh, flush with your skull. So you basically uh, take out a chunk of skull, replace, put the neuralink device in there. Um, you, you put the, the electrode, you'd insert the electrode threads very carefully into the, the brain. Exactly what they, we just read to you was what was needed to achieve what they're talking about. Right. That's the next step they need to, I guess, absorb all the data that maybe has been collected by these nanotechnology. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, you guys, it's very clear. These are my theories. I'm just throwing these things out there. But this is some alarming overlap here as we get distracted left and right by all sorts of partisan garbage everywhere. It's clear this thing is marched in the same direction and hasn't stopped. Doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you if you take a genetic editing. It's a fusion of the physical, the digital, and the biological world. That's really the essence of the fourth industrial revolution. A merger with biological intelligence and machine intelligence. An effort for man to merge with machine in yes. a healthy way. Yes. To beat machines, you basically have to merge with machines. Most likely, yes. As work is changing, is a universal basic income um, really a, a, a solution to, the, to this problem? I think ultimately we will have to have some kind of universal basic income. And I think some kind of a universal basic income is going to be necessary. Decarbonization of the economy. Where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Mm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. I mean, my top recommendation, honestly, would be just to have a carbon tax. This global reset is necessary. 
I tend to think it's pretty obvious. And again, I made I made the point in the beginning. It's certainly possible that Elon Musk doesn't feel that way. Maybe he doesn't agree at all. Maybe he thinks he does. Maybe he doesn't care about the World Economic Forum. World Economic Forum. Maybe he does. Maybe this is all about that. Or maybe he believes he's taking advantage of them and he can play them just like he does them and he'll use them as they want. And he'll end up doing what he wants anyway. That's all that's certainly possible. You know, my point before, maybe he thinks that's what's happening and maybe he's being played. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it obviously matters, but in the context of what we're watching play out, it's just about realizing that we are being manipulated and used and tested on and always have been if we really be honest about our history. Now we just need to acknowledge that what is currently happening and stop these things first and foremost from being given to anybody else. Then be very, very much concerned and on guard about this entire agenda that very much won't stop even if these injections stop. This, this is the ongoing battle of good and evil, guys. We need to continue to fight because we're fighting for good. We're fighting for honesty and truth and objectivity. And, you know, it doesn't mean we're always right. But as long as you continue to act with integrity and try to do your best to maintain that, it's all you can ever try to do. And that's why you guys are here, because you care about the truth and you care about being objective. So help me continue to fight and wake people up to this. I'll leave you with an Eisenhower clip that says it all. Thank you all for being here. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. From the President's office in the White House in Washington, D.C., we present an address by the President of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower. In holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. 